Hey everyone, it's Bob. For the past year and a half, COVID-19 has ravaged the world. We have the tools to control it. We have the tools to end it. The end is within reach, but only if we're willing. Only if we stretch out our arms and take the opportunity that has been given to us. So please, wear a mask, get vaccinated. Let's end this pandemic. We can do this together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Go to the Ring, where we take a look at the good old days and not-so-good old days of World Championship Wrestling Series by Series. I'm your host, Bob Moore, and I'm joined by the man I just nefariously defeated to retain my role as lead host of Let's Go to the Ring, Alec Pridgen. Don't worry. Don't hold it against you. (laughs) I do the same thing to you. Not suffering too much under my iron fist, I hope. No, no. That's enough wiggle room for me. It's okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, tonight, for the first time, we're taking a look at a wrestling movie. What? WCW's 2000 masterpiece, Ready to Rumble. I wonder how much they had to pay Buffer to name the movie after his catchphrase. I think they probably paid him a certain amount before, and then he made him more money after he saw the movie. (laughs) I sure would. (laughs) I'm like, you know what? You have hit me double. I've seen this thing. Reputational damage, huh? Exactly, yeah. Ready to Rumble released April 7th, 2000. It was made with a budget of $24 million, but it ended up making $12.5 million at hmm. the box office. It's rare to see Debbie lose money like that. <laughs> They're at least consistent. They lose money both in wrestling and in filmmaking. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I guess at least they made it above half. Yeah, and that's something I suppose. Barely. Oops, what's this? I see Eric Bischoff just came down to the ring, and did he just declare Al the winner of our match? Since when does he have that authority? Oh, well, I guess that means you're lead host for this one, Al. All right, no pressure. (laughs) So before we get into the movie, I have some background stuff on the people involved that may be interesting to hear. The movie is directed by Brian Robbins. He's the director of such classic films as Good Burger. Oh, gal. As well as Varsity Blues. Before following up this movie with 2006's The Shaggy Dog. Huh. He followed that up with 2007's Norbit. Haven't even heard of that. That's the movie that seemed to have caused Eddie Murphy's Oscar. Basically, Eddie Murphy was in a, apparently a really good movie called Dreamgirls. Okay. He was up for Best Sporting Actor for it. And then another studio was like, hey, we have this Eddie Murphy movie. Let's release that in theaters. It's called Norbit, in which he is a put-upon nerdy character which he, of course, plays. Uh, has a over-the-top fat lady girlfriend who he also plays. Okay. It's basically the original Jack and Jill. I think people were thinking, hey, this guy's a pretty good actor. Then they saw it over and like, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's not entirely fair. I mean, the, I know. Like, they're two separate films. Yeah. It just, I think it soured people on him. Yeah. He also did 2008's Meet Dave, also with Eddie Murphy. 
So Eddie Murphy did not learn his lesson, no. is what you're telling me. Okay. And in fact, Robbins' last movie is a movie called A Thousand Words, which he shot in 2008, also with Eddie Murphy, <laughs> but was released in 2012. I don't know why it sat in shelf for four years, but apparently it did. <laughs> okay. On the TV front, he directed such shows as Keenan and Kel. Okay. Supa Ninjas, and it's spelled S-U-P-A-H, for the record. So it's not me with a list, suddenly. It's, that's how it's spelled. <laughs> He also directed the pilot episode of Birds of Prey. Interesting. He is currently the head of Nickelodeon. How, how many of those TV things was Eddie Murphy in? Because it sounds like he kind of has a thing for him. Uh, none that I could see. Oh. Missing a trick there. Yes. <laughs> it was written by a man named Stephen Brill. He has a number of writing and directing credits. He actually has some better acting credits, at least. He wrote all three Mighty Ducks movies. Okay. A film called Heavyweights with Ben Stiller. About kids at a fat camp, hence the pun title. Okay. And Little Nicky, which he also directed. Huh. So there's no escape name for that when you write and direct the movie. Yeah, yeah. His uh, star du jour was Adam Sandler. He directed Mr. Deeds, as well as a number of his recent movies, his Netflix ones like Hubie Halloween and The Do-Over. Okay. He also directed the film Without a Paddle, a comedy that intentionally evokes imagery from Deliverance. So that's a... That's a thing. Yeah. So he was not involved in Happy Gilmore, the only good Adam Sandler movie. Not that I can see, no. Okay. Can't, can't, uh, can't give him a bit of credit for that. I don't think he did Ridiculous Six, which at least is a plus for him, but he did enough bad Adam Sandler stuff. <laughs> or at least iffy Adam Sandler stuff. <laughs> Speaking of people with interesting resumes, the music is by George S. Clinton, who has a long history of doing soundtracks. His credits include the original Mortal Kombat movie. Okay. do 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 Yep. American Ninja 2 and 3. But not 1. No. That should be silly. He did the soundtracks for all three Austin Powers movies. Also all three Santa Claus movies with Tim Allen. He also did the soundtrack for a film that will come up in the notes for next episode, 3,000 Miles to Graceland. Okay. Now were his soundtracks for those movies also, you know, 90% rips of radio hits? (laughs) No. So as a soundtrack guy, he's not responsible in a good or bad way for the music they picked to put like on, on the movie soundtrack, like when they released on CD, yeah. back when they released CDs. No, he his, like the music you hear between scenes that's not pre-licensed, he did that kind of music. Yeah, I'm, ha- I'm having trouble remembering any of that music in this movie. <laughs> well, he did a great job then. <laughs> yes. I couldn't get an exact date on when the movie was made. Uh, according to B, the film was shot between September and December 1999. Yeah, I kind of figured because, uh, as we discussed at the end of last episode, Perry Saturn is in it. Yes. And Perry Saturn obviously leaves in early 2000. There's a bunch of stuff I'll, go th- I'll, I'll, I'll touch upon as I go through that. Okay. Makes the timeline interesting for this. <laughs> Unfortunately, I can't stall any longer. and we have to actually talk about the movie. Okay. <laughs> I did my best to pad this out for you, but I, I couldn't get any more out of this. So the opening credits begins with lots of footage of wrestlers. I don't think any of them are actually in this movie, though, right? I don't believe so. It was more like classic wrestling right. for the most part, and then some modern things mixed in. But yeah. I did think it was kind of a nice tribute. It kind of makes it look like the tone of the movie is going to be a little bit different than it ends up being. Yeah. If this was like a really good movie, I guess it's on the, on the movie with the wrestler, it would be, oh, it makes sense as part of the thing. But with this, it feels like, we love wrestling. But not anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. 
it's it's appropriate that we're doing this movie as part of Slamboree because that opening kind of calls back to the early Slamborees with the uh, Hall of Fame ceremonies yeah. and celebration of history. See, the theme does tie back, Bob. It does. It does. Yep. <laughs> Never thought it would tie back this way, but it <laughs> <Yes>. does. <laughs> so the film proper begins with our lead, Scott Kahn and David Arquette, talking up the prestige and notoriety of Jimmy King, their favorite wrestler. Who, who's Jimmy King? Yeah, he's not a real wrestler. Yeah. That's the first problem right there. <laughs> Jimmy King supposedly had a, they say a 14-year undefeated streak, I think is what they say. I don't know if they say undefeated streak, but they definitely say he's, he's been in WCW for 14 years, apparently. I think it's a throwaway line, but he's never been beaten or something. Oh, okay. I might shock it. Maybe it's just bad writing. Probably. But the implication is like he's been the big star there all this time. He's like ha- he like has a nearly Ric Flair level career in yeah. in WCW of the the length of time that he's been there. Yeah, right. And to believe he's undefeated, but he's also world champion at this point. And you wonder like, could they really have a champion that long in that company, especially at this point in two thousand? Yeah, seems a little doubtful. David Arquette's character wants a new another Slurpee, although I can't say Slurpee because it's not Seven Eleven. Yeah, I think they call it slushy, which, fair enough. That's it's a generic, actually a yeah. type of drink, yeah. Right. Copyright free. Yes. So he goes in knowing he doesn't have enough change, apparently. Although he's a penny short. Like, I don't know why he can get a penny from his... From yeah, don't they have one of those little penny tills to the side? Yeah, leave a penny, take a penny, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this is where reality gets blurred a bit, because he gets in heated argument with, with the guy running the shop, who, by the way, is Ahmed Zappa, one of Frank Zappa's kids. There's a handful of Zappas out there. <laughs> there's Amit, Dweez, and also... She was Moon Unit originally, now she's just Moon Zappa. Because Moon Unit would be silly, but Moon is a much more common name. It's at least potentially a name. Yeah. What do you want, boob? Purple sugar slush. King size. That'll be a dollar twenty-six. Dollar twenty-five. That's all I got. That's just not good enough now, is it, you little boob? You little Jimmy the King fan boob? Oh, Jimmy King's a big fat loser. He's a sissy in tights. There's a lot of glare coming off that dome of yours, squirrel nuts. Listen, sunshine, I'm going to open up a fresh can of whoop on you, boy. Yeah. Bring it on. So it's at this point that the movie turns into what appears to be a pure fantasy sequence. Our technical first match in this movie mm-hmm. is David Arquette as Gordy, along with Jimmy King, played by Oliver Platt, versus the shop guy, played by Ahmed Zappa. I don't think he ever gets a name. I don't believe so. And, of all people, the macho man, Randy Savage. Oh, no. Referee for this one is Billy Silverman. Gordy suplexes the shop guy over the counter, but shop guy tags the suddenly appearing Randy Savage, who taunts Gordy. Shop guy grabs Gordy for Savage punches, but Jimmy King appears to deck Savage, and Gordy punts the shop guy in the balls. Can't imagine that that's going to be uh, good for getting further service out of the guy. No. King and Gordy run Macho and shop guy down the shelves bar fight style, but shop guy randomly just kind of teleports into position to clothesline Gordy. That's really weird, yeah. 
who randomly rams his head into the glass door of the dairy section. To be clear, he's he's not knocked in no. the glass doors. He's clotheslined over the ropes that have suddenly appeared. Yeah, there's a ring suddenly in the middle of the door for this purpose, yes. Slowly stands up, yes. gets angry, and headbutts the glass doors of the dairy section. It, it's his homage to Goldberg headbutting locker doors. I like guess? Gordy does a springboard drop kick to the shop guy. King slams Macho, and King and Gordy crown shop guy. That's a jumping double axe handle by both. For Billy Silverman to suddenly appear to count three, while the Nitro girls also suddenly appear to dance in the background. <laughs> so, thoughts on this one, I guess? <laughs> it's so weirdly put together. I mean, even if I was making a dream sequence. But for one... He doesn't suplex him initially. He's like grabbing him like a hip toss kind of right. move. And then suddenly there's the, the ring there and he's suplexing him, which is a completely different rotation in your body. Right, yeah. There. And then the bit with him uh, sliding the guys down the shelves and then they're just all in completely different positions. Yeah. Like you said, I get this as a dream sequence. Yeah. But if you're actually bothering to film a fight scene, then, yes. you know, do it do it better. <laughs> well, why, if, it's, if it's his dream sequence, why is he getting clothesline over the ropes like that? I mean, he's, he's, take some heat, I guess. He's, he's praising Jimmy King, so Jimmy King has to be responsible for the big win, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> Plus, if he doesn't get clotheslined over the ropes, how can he do a springboard dropkick and be awesome, right? Sure. Oh, he's like awesome in wrestling. You think David Urquette? No, not really, no. Yeah. For the try. <laughs> it's a weird opening bit that makes Gordy just look completely insane. Yes. Which is not a great way to build sympathy for him. But I, I do have to say, by later in the movie, I was wishing there was more of this mm-hmm. and less of basically everything else the movie does. So there is that. I mean, the fact that Rennie Savage is here brings it up above being fully terrible because yes. it's Rennie Savage by default. Then, then it makes you realize the rest of the movie, there's no more Rennie Savage, which is a shame. Yeah. I don't know if you caught this when they're having their promo battle. The shop guy's outfit randomly, like, just changes. Yes. All of a sudden, he goes from wearing a normal vest to, like, a gladiator-style yes. vest. So I, I did appreciate it. It's kind of still styled after his, like, convenience store vest. Yes. It, it's his wrestling outfit. He, like, suddenly transitions into wrestling persona. It's just kind of jarring. Yeah. I get what they were going for, but again, it's just, like, the sudden... Why don't you just go for that right away when they start screaming at each other, since you're already in the dream? Yeah. <laughs> this is the second-to-last... Rennie Savage appearance way to anything WCW. Like, ever. Wow. Previous to this, he's gone for a while. I think he's coming back from a knee injury, which he got from Hogan. He comes back, does a promo in the ring about how he, he wants someone to try to uh, pass the torch to, to challenge him. And then leaves without fighting anybody and doesn't appear for, like, six months. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess he, it was a three-second window to answer his challenge, and then because you didn't, he just went yep. home. Time's up. I'm leaving. Yeah. But that, that's, in, I want to say, around October 1999, which would fit the timeline of when this movie was made. Right, yeah. Also notable for that, Gorgeous George, who you see briefly managing him on the outside. Right, yep. She was actually gone from the company by 1999. She was presumably on her way out from the company when they shot this. Okay. Because she was appearing for ECW in a small role by July of 2000. So Right, I remember this. you mentioning she went on to that. And Randy Savage is, is I'll, I'll cover his final appearance, because it actually relates to Slambury 2000 on the next show. Okay. Randy Savage is all but gone as well. <laughs> Thankfully, he can rebound from this, of course, appearing as Bonesaw in the classic Spider-Man film. Yes. A couple years later. That, that, is, that is epic. Yes. All that nonsense done, we flash back outside, revealing that Gordy's actually been in a daze out in front of the convenience store the whole time, but... 
he still wants that slushy, and he still doesn't have enough money. And so apparently, while he's going, he's sitting with his finger at his butt. Oh, God. Because this is a comedy. So he goes in, saying he's a new one, and holding his finger, which was previously somewhere bad, next to the cup, so the guy will think the slushy was bad. Yes. You know, again, he drank all of it. As he explains, it, the, the butt fruit settled at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> that is an actual line from this movie. <laughs> Yeah, I was leaving it to you to say the words butt fruit yeah. up until this point. <laughs> that, that's my duty on this episode, right? Yeah, that, that's, yeah. Thank you, Eric, for that. And so, yeah, against all odds, that plan actually works. Arquette's dad in the movie is a cop. A psychopath, but He's also, also a, a cop. psychopath, yes. yes. <laughs> Who, yeah, he abuses his power quite a bit to push his son into becoming a cop, which is a weird way to do that. I can traumatize you. Don't you want to traumatize someone else? I guess. I guess, you know, you might want to pass it on. I'm, I'm going to leave that there. Yeah, yeah. We get a lovely bit of comedic interlude where, we, where they introduce the idea that they work for a sewage company that cleans up and clears out porta potties. Yes. After they're done talking about wrestling going to see Nitro that night, Scott Kahn's character decides to use the porta potty when near them. Which is Sean, right? Yes. Yeah. Which, first off, I don't know, maybe um, it's me, but if my job was cleaning up porta potties, I would never use a porta potty in my life. That's that's probably true. Although I guess once you've cleaned them, you know that that is the one moment at which that porta potty is definitely clean. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> he of course tells his buddy or cat character not to mess with him, which is just a way to tell him to in fact do that. Yes. So he does a weird thing where like puts the suction machine up to the back of the porta potty and like it. Like, to the bottom, and it starts sucking him into the... It, like, suctions him to the yeah, toilet seat, it's... which I've seen the Mythbusters episode on uh, the, the airplane suction bit. That wouldn't work. Okay. Like, it, it could only work if he actually had the seat up and was sitting at it. Mm. Then, But they proved on that that even the, the slight barrier afforded by the seat is enough to completely break any kind of vacuum suction you could get, even with a really powerful one. Oh, okay. So, not that that's the biggest flaw this movie no, has, no. but I just want to clarify that. Fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, Scott Con character, of course, gets out of there. And there's an interesting, confusing bit for me, which is, so, early we just saw David Kett character in his dream sequence suplexing the shop, shop owner. And then, as reprisal for his actions, Scott Con then in real life, does a suplex to Arquette. Yeah. So he can do them in real life, but Arquette cannot, I guess? Th this is one of the early signs of the movie's complete inability to decide whether wrestling is fake or real. Also These true. two guys are getting in an actual fight yes. and using pro wrestling moves, which are, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, at least if you're not a Steiner, yes. moves that require your opponent to cooperate with you to go off yeah. properly. A basic suplex, for sure, does that. Yeah. Yes. At least the, the vertical suplex yes. type they're doing, like a, a, a German suplex yeah. or a back suplex or something, those are closer to legit mat wrestling moves. Yeah. A vertical suplex, that's that's definitely not a... Yeah. Uh, uncooperative move. Now, I mean, you you could rationalize it with the first bit because it's a crazy dream sequence. Right. He's picturing it like how he sees wrestling, so of course that'll make sense. Exactly, yeah. I have no problem with it in that one. Yeah. But it, it's just funny to see his friend doing a real suplex to him, and he has to imagine himself being able to do that to run at people. Yes, yes, it is. Scott Kahn's character, Sean, you'll see he has a bracelet made, a leather bracelet that says WWKD. Yes. Which stands for What Would King Do? Which... Directed Bob and I for a bit first time we watched this together. <laughs> yeah. 
number one, wondering how they didn't, how this film did not get sued out of existence right. at that point. But as you pointed out. So, yeah, if, if they just kept WWJD, it would be what would Jimmy do? Right. As in Jimmy King. Which, if you look at what the WWJD bracelet actually said, is what would Jesus do? Yes. And Jesus being the first name. Yes. If we were mimicking the rules used for WWKD, it would be WWCD. Yes. <laughs> it's it's like weird, even at the little bits, this film's internal logic fall, falls apart. There's also the idea that he apparently had a leather bracelet made. Like, did, did he make it or did he pay someone to make it? It's not really clear. Yeah, I don't uh, think Etsy was a thing at this time, No, right? for sure. I'm pretty sure not. <laughs> and I can't imagine him sitting at home and using a like leather stitching and making that himself. Right, yeah. This is the point in the movie where I think you realize that, like, you coming into this, assume that this is going to be a movie where it's going to be, like, pro-wrestling fans, as in, in favor of wrestling fans. Yes, yes. And, like, everyone who doesn't like wrestling is stupid, because it's being made by a wrestling company, right? right. But that's not really how this movie is going. Everyone is portrayed as a moron. Yes. Like, every single person. Gordy is a jerk. Yes. To his friend and to his family. Uh Uh-huh. Sean is an idiot. Yes. Who makes bracelets that Mm -hmm. are copyright infringing and stupid. (laughs) Yes. Gordy's father is a power-hungry, crazy tyrant who's probably going to shoot someone... If if he hasn't already, yes, outside of the of of any kind of legitimate, yes, you know, activity at some point, mm-hmm. and like every single person that they encounter is is just a complete jerk. Yeah, there's maybe one or two people that get by only because they have small roles and they don't really yeah. have like a character arc and time to really do that. But yeah, for the most part, everyone is just bad. Yeah, movie. and 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 if this is what WCW thinks their fans are, yes, they're self-absorbed man-children yeah. who have no concept of reality mm-hmm. whatsoever. Like, there's a point, um, the point where Gordy's dad is abusing his power and then lecturing Gordy on wrestling being fake. Gordy, like, screams at him in hyper-aggressive, yes. like, close-to-violent manner. The wrestling not fake! Yeah. You know, you're just like, get this dude some professional help. He's yeah. gonna hurt somebody. Yeah. There's also a bit in that when the dad is, is harassing them, he makes fun of wrestling being quote-unquote homoerotic, and then the same scene, he gets very hands-on while frisking his, his son's friend. Yeah. So it's like, this is presumably a dude you know, too. Yes. <laughs> like- yes. <laughs> After this, we see them go to a local restaurant, which is drive the restaurant they don't they, they, do they name it i forget i, I blocked that don't point. recall and i don't it, care it, enough to look yeah it up. <laughs> it's not it's not a real place it's not a mcdonald's or anything like that because they didn't want to pay the licensing for that but it's some sort of restaurant so they hit on the two young ladies that work there the idea is that sean is really in love with the one girl Brittany, the blonde one right whereas the other girl's name is wendy thanks to my notes i have that written down <laughs> She, it's the cute girl that totally loves the main character thing, but he has, seems to have no idea thing, which of course will pay off later, because it's a movie. Yeah, which would matter if they were in more than, like, two scenes in the film. Correct. This is the point where I have to confess. Later in the film, these two characters show up again. They do. Yeah. I had completely forgotten that they existed. No, oh, sure. When, okay. at that point, because they are in this scene. Yes. And not feature for the rest of the movie until, like, really close to the end. Yes. It's not a character arc. No. It's no. just like, hey, there's this girl that I that I kind of like and this girl that kind of likes me, but we're not going to talk about them at all. No. 
I think the one girl asked to go to Nitro with them or something, but they didn't. She doesn't go with them at all. So it doesn't yeah, matter. there's no follow through with this up until like later in the movie and they reappear again as if supposed to. Oh, it's those characters. Yeah, I'd forgotten who they were. Yeah, I had a little bit of trivia with them though, since I'm on their their one of two scenes. Uh, so Brittany, the blonde girl, is played by Jill Ritchie, who has a number of character acting credits. Okay, but most notable for being the sister of Kid Rock. Oh, okay. That you hear that and you see the face. So yeah, I can see that. Okay. Uh, Wendy, the nice girl, the brunette, is played by Melanie Paxson. She has again has a long history, even to working to this day, as character actresses play um, playing moms and girlfriends and stuff. She has one big role that a lot of people know her from, though. Okay. She is in a very famous State Farm ad in which her husband is calling State Farm at three a.m. He's calling, talking to Jake from State Farm. Oh, okay. The Jake State Farm ads. Yeah. That's her. Okay. Okay. She's like, you know, Jake from State Farm at three in the morning. Who is this? That's her. Okay, I remember that one. Yeah, obviously that was 19 years later, so that's why I took a better role than in this movie. (laughs) Yes, the more fleshed out character, sadly. Yes, it is. (laughs) Uh, As far as Sean goes, they make a passing mention to his father being dead, but I I honestly completely forgotten until you reminded me when we were watching it. Really not that important to the story. Yeah, it's like uh, Arquette says something about like I can't believe my dad, and Sean's like, at least you got a dad. Oh, like oh, sorry, man. That's, yeah and that's that's it that's all you get for yes. for a little while longer <laughs> and then there's a mention of his of the uncle in the next scene and he's complaining about the seats they got but then it's like a random mention of the, was it his uncle like lost from his nut to cancer or something I think it's like a random like line that. like that i don't know why it's in the movie i'll talk about this more later but like it feels like Sean is set up as like he's one of the main characters of the movie, but they forgot to give him actual character development at all. Yeah. They gave like all of the plot stuff to Gordy. That's true. Like yeah. he, he gets the starting points of like six or seven plots, but they never do anything with any of them. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so now that we have firmly established our characters are all basically terrible and we really don't want to follow them anywhere. We are then following them to Nitro. Okay. Where they go to a real arena, although that the arena they go to, I was looking up when we watched it, it's a fairly large arena in the state that they're set in, that's supposed to hold like eighteen to 20,000 people. A tenth of that, and clearly in that set they built. It didn't look like the like it was anywhere near full. No. Which, I mean, it's your movie. You yeah. Can, you can lie and say that you can fill arenas. There's a super tiny looking arena, which is because, I don't know why they could film the actual arena when there's no game going on. Yeah. Or film this before a nitro, which would make more sense. And it would look better, but I don't know why they couldn't do that. It's weird. Just for comparison, and the movie Fighting With My Family, based on Paige's real life, to shoot the bit where Paige beats Adelie for the title, they went out and had The Rock introduce that we're going to film a scene for a movie, and then they shot that in front of a real raw crowd, an actual raw crowd, and just react like this is happening, nor you know what this all is. That's how you shoot something like that. When you have a wrestling company to build this around. That'd be cool to be part of that, wouldn't it? Like, yeah. And then get to say, hey, I'm, in the, I'm actually in this scene. Yeah, there in, yeah background, yeah. That, that'd be really neat. Yeah, so now they're at Nitro, and we basically skip over everything except the end of Nitro. Yeah, we, we get a few shots of, a few match clips here. Oh, and there. right. Is this the point where they have uh, Rey Mysterio and Kidman in a match? Yes. And they, they actually do one of the few nice things in this movie. They do a slow-mo shot of that one move we found really cool from their match last year. Oh, right, yeah. Where Kidman, yeah, alley-oops, yeah, Rey into Hurricane yeah. Yeah. So I appreciated getting a really nice detailed slow-mo shot of that. Yeah. But 
that was one of the few things I can say I appreciate about this movie. Yes. So our second match then is Diamond Dallas Page versus Jimmy King for King's WCW World Heavyweight Championship. The ring announcer, unusually enough, is Mean Gene Okerlund. Huh. I don't know if he was doing it on Nitros at this time. But I don't believe so, no. I don't think I've ever seen him do ring announcing in WCW. Mm. I think he did it sometimes in WWF, maybe, but... Yeah, no, I, I can't... Any shows I've watched, I've never seen him do that before. Yeah. Tony Schiavone and Mike Tenay call the match, and Tony looks like he's dying inside the entire time. At this point, late 99, early 2000 Nitro... He may just look like that all the time anyways. Yeah. It's not necessarily just this movie's fault. He looks like he's given up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really, where Mike Tanay is at least like trying to look engaged, and Tony's like, oh boy. Yeah. That sure was exciting. I noticed watching the, the movie that Tanay is a lot more a lot more active in commentary than any show we've actually seen before. Yeah. He's calling like all the action, to, and Shivani has a random outburst. That yeah, he, like Shivani has suddenly become color commentator, yeah. but also doesn't give a crap. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> Which, fair enough. Yeah. So the match proper starts. They fight for a bit, and we're actually showing them calling some spots, which I thought was actually kind of cool. You get to see a little bit of the the behind-the-curtain stuff, even if that is, again, getting at the war between is wrestling real or fake that goes through this entire movie. Right. There is also the idea that DDP is calling a match in the ring. That is Yes, that is probably the least believable thing in this movie, right? That's true, yes. At a certain point, as King is calling for a hip toss, Paige gives a significant look to apparent WCW owner Titus Sinclair. Yes. Played by... Joe Panleone, I believe. Yes, yes. who is the dude from the Matrix movies. Yes. Among, like, a billion other things. Yes. That's what I recognize him from. He's also in Daredevil as well. Yes. Paige, at that point, starts legit attacking King and beats him up, but that includes several very obvious wrestling moves by both of them rather than any actual legit attacks other than punches. Yes. Both of them tried their wrestling finishers in a supposedly legit fight. Yes. And several other guys run in to beat up King, again with wrestling moves. Yes. Everybody, even King's allies, beat him up. As Gordy and Sean scream and try to run down to the ring, four guys climb the top ropes on each corner and do simultaneous dives onto King, giving Paige the three count in the win. It's a nice variant there on John's old uh, four pillars of creation strategy from his Brawl Osses match. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Well, they call something stupid, like the four corners of death or something. Like, this is a... They, they I, have a name I think for Tony, it. Or, Tony or Tony actually does give it a name. Yeah. yeah I don't... Like, it's a thing that they totally do in wrestling. Yes. Like, what? No. So, yeah, thoughts on this bit? I mean, there's a whole lot of stupid here, for one. <laughs> there is. Yes. The king, he has the posse, which apparently is Conan and Kurt Hennig. Yeah, weird combination. Yeah. And they're not, like, wearing royal outfits or anything. They take them off. It's just them and their own outfits. They're, they're standard gimmicks, and Jimmy King is standing there. By the way, let's let's not leave this aside. This Jimmy King gimmick would die a death in 1999 or yes. 2000, right? As, a, as, a, as a, the straight-laced Superface one, yes. He is dressed in a medieval king outfit. Yes. For his entrance and for the actual match. Yes. Because Oliver Platt, well, a perfectly fine actor, it does not seem, shall we say, in full wrestling shape mm-hmm. so they gave him this like full medieval looking bodysuit. yeah which that alone would kill a late 90s character yes but then beyond that he's doing royal puns but they've tried to make this very obvious like early 80s jerry lawler parody blatantly jerry lawler yes into a 90s character by having him swear yes yeah, true yeah and rap <laughs> yes 
because a middle-aged white dude rapping is 90s? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we could probably find the audio from rapping, but I don't want to. I really don't want to ever hear that again in my that, life. That's it's, the other it's thing. It's terrible. It's really bad, yeah. I mean, so it's like, there. this is their idea for what the single most popular wrestler in WCW in 1999 or 2000 would be yes a obvious early 80s character yes who they have made say a few potty mouth words yes no wonder the company went out of business yeah yeah. because to be fair at this point jerry lawler is obviously around and technically he never stopped wrestling which is a whole other thing to get into wrestlers that can't ever retire but he really didn't actively wrestle like at all at this point um, in WWF, obviously he was doing a lot of commentary. That was his big thing. He was the co-voice of WWF at this point, right? With Jim Ross, but suddenly, like if if you swap the switch people, and suddenly Stone Cold's doing commentary, and he's Stone Cold Spot, that makes no it, sense. It, it doesn't work. No, like and even at least at least Jerry Lawler is not doing like I'm actually a medieval king. That's where true. Jimmy yeah. King appears to be trying to actually do that. Yes, that's true. So sorry, back to the posse. <laughs> It's the blatant, like, Vince Russo swerve. Like, everyone's turned on Jimmy King. His friends are here. Oh, no, they turn on him, too. Yes. And and also, like, come on, there's no way that DDP, of all people, could actually pull a shock betrayal, right? You'd, you'd read about it on page 47, paragraph 6 of his match script binder. Yeah, exactly, so. yeah. <laughs> I, I did find it neat to see them do the spot-calling bit, though I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And they had a bit of a flow to this one. Yeah, that sure. It, it like it kind of worked, but it definitely goes way over the top once they start the betrayal bit, yeah. like you said. It does help the fake match flow a bit because the stun double for Oliver Platt was Chris Canyon. Oh, okay. So part of where they're actually doing moves, it's Canyon and DP wrestling. Who I can see that working fr- perfectly yeah, exactly. fine. Yeah, and feud in, in the actual 2000 in real life. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense, like it because it felt like the quality of the action was actually pretty much fine. Yes, which you'd get since it's actually a bunch of wrestlers doing it. Yes, so yeah, it'd be him doing the action, then it'd cut to exasperate all of Platinum. What happened? You know. Yeah, yeah, they definitely have a little bit of the um, everything is fake except for what you're watching right now. Yes, thing that will plague the actual WCW in 2000. Mm-hmm. So going back a bit, the hook of this is that. King is their world champion, but apparently he's gotten sloppy, and as we were from Goldberg, apparently has a drinking problem, and occasionally throws up on people. So, he's, of course, the good guy who shouldn't be betrayed, because he's dangerous in the ring and sloppy and always late to the show and disrespectful. So, he's definitely some guy we sh- nothing bad should happen to, because he's a great guy. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, and I get the idea they're going for here is like it's a redemption arc. Yes, but it definitely feels a little bit weird seeing just how disliked he's supposed to be yeah. in the early going, where it doesn't feel like early Jimmy King has redeeming qualities. No, where this is the point where you kind of need to have something in there that tells the viewer why you should maybe think about liking this guy. Yeah. They're kind of doing, it's actually, I didn't think about this until now, but it's like the, it's like all those wrestling angles we complain about where it's like, this guy is a face by virtue of being a villain who was betrayed by other villains. Yes. He's a face because he didn't cheat well enough, or he's a face because someone didn't cheat well enough for him and then beat him up. You yeah, know? yeah. He's not a face because he's actually a face. No. <laughs> he's just weird, anachronistic character who raps and says b- once or twice. But they're also a king, and people love him, so it's a shock that he's betrayed. Yeah. yeah. 
So following this, our two heroes drive home, and apparently there's a sewage truck, which I guess is their only means of conveyance. It sounds like Sean actually owns it and even perhaps owns the company mm. from some dialogue we get, I guess. So I guess that is his personal vehicle. I guess so. Seems inconvenient. Yeah. I mean, aside from the fact that it's probably filled with raw sewage at all times, I, it's just a big truck. I, I highly doubt you ever get that smell out, right? No, I mean, no. Yeah. <laughs> even freshly clean that thing. It just it's seeped into everything. So they're upset because apparently, and I missed this, because King lost, he's now banned from WWE for life, apparently? I think Sinclair does say it. I don't know if it was a condition of the match, but I think he does like the Vince Russo, and you'll never see that guy here again, oh, that okay. he did in the uh, Hogan Bash at the Beach thing. But they say it's a matter-of-fact way, like, oh, well, he lost the match, he's banned for life. And yeah. I'm like, I feel like I missed what that's expressly explained. In theory, my, my brain... Shutting down partially the self-defense thing, it does happen with bad wrestling. Yeah, yes, we've uh, we've we've seen that in the uh, yes. <laughs> Mr. Hughes match, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember if they actually say it before the match at all, but I, I'm sure that Sinclair says it after the match. Oh okay. So because they're distracted driving and all emotional, they of course crash their sewage truck, which they escape from pretty much unharmed, which is pretty amazing. And they roll, they flip that thing over. Yeah, they, it like goes over on its side, but they manage to climb out the window. They yeah. don't appear to have any significant injuries for raw sewage to seep into. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if Triple H can survive his car being flipped over by Stone Cold that one show, and yeah, he's fine, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so then this leads to the part where the police have have taped off the whole area, trying to clean up and get rid of the wreckage, have lights and everything everywhere. So of course another truck driving like 100 miles an hour down this random back road. Someone doesn't see this. Yeah. And then crashes as well. It's, I get that it's night, but that actually makes it harder to believe this. This yeah. guy is coming down a perfectly straight road. There's police lights everywhere yeah. in front of him. You can see it for a mile out. And yeah. a tipped over sewage truck is not hard to see. Yeah. And somehow this dude doesn't see it until he's like next to it. Yes. <laughs> Slams on his brakes, fishtails his truck. Yeah. Which is carrying, of course... Toilet paper. Yeah. Because that is the level of humor that this movie has. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so apparently truck is not just their company vehicle and their way of making money. Apparently it also was the last thing that Sean's father left him. Yeah, he like left him the truck and the business or something yeah. like that. Sean has now starting another subplot that they'll not do anything with. That's lost his Lost his truck, his business, and the final me- memento of his dead father. Yes. <laughs> So naturally, now that they've lost their way of making money, they decide to drive cross country to find Jimmy King, because obviously what went down is is a travesty, and they need to find him and make it right. Gordy, it seems like Sean might have more important things to address in his life at the yeah, moment. Yeah, maybe. Just just leave the scene of this major accident where the police yeah. are there, and this. Yeah, it's fine. Which is your fault, by the way. Yes, oh, 100%. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about it until then, but Gordy's dad is a cop. Yes. They should obviously be having some sort of scene here where they are forced to communicate with the police at detail about mm-hmm. the intricacies of this massive, massive wreck that they have caused and the sewage that is currently spilling all over the natural yes. environment in the area. The only way I could rationalize this in a, in a movie, not in real life, obviously, is if the dynamic of the dad was positive. Then he could have been like, like I okay, got my dad, yeah. yeah, my dad will cover it. Don't worry about it. 
this is a perfect opportunity, actually, that they've wasted to get Gordy and Sean more legitimately into conflict with Gordy's father, the cop, that they have just done something terrifically irresponsible that the police have to deal with. But the character that has a perfect excuse to be angry at them already Mm -hmm. is not involved in this. No, not, not at all. So they, since they have no vehicle, they have to hitchhike. So, of course, they picked up by nuns. Yes. I mean, it was good for the day in Silent Bob, so I guess it's okay for that, <laughs> that too. It's, of course, full of singing nuns in the back of the van, as, I guess, all nuns traveling in vans must do. I mean, you got to amuse yourself on the road somehow, right? Yeah, I guess so. So they start singing some normal songs during while we get the montage establishing that they're traveling long distances. And then we have the odd bit where... Gas they know anything more contemporary and ask them to start singing Riding, Running with the Devil. Which I will admit, I actually found that pretty funny. Yeah. The, uh, ju- just because the actress is playing the nuns really go into the idea of doing that song, but in a very like religious style, mm-hmm. but, you know, religious singing style. Yeah. They're singing it very prim and proper still, but singing that song is, is kind yeah. of funny. You see, I was expecting the more obvious thing, which is that they're arriving along, and you have the montage showing the car, and you have the map, that was going a long way, and then they ask them to sing that song, and then suddenly, abrupt cut, and they're kicked out of the van. Which would be hilarious, too, yeah. Right. But I, I, I know. I'll, I'll give them some credit for that one, at, at least for how they ended up doing it was pretty funny. Yeah. What is not funny is the joke that comes immediately after the nuns drop them off at their next destination, where they look at each other and oh, realize that, no. nun, that nuns fart. Yes. Yeah. Which I guess is news to them. <laughs> I, I guess so, yeah. Yeah. So while getting supplies, they run across a nerdy redheaded guy who's also a wrestling fan. And he sees help him out by going on the internet. Now, they discover this guy playing a arcade cabinet. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Which is apparently a Jimmy King yes. wrestling game, which looks like utter crap. Yes. Like, they they could have spent, like, maybe more than four seconds designing the animations for this thing. Yes. <laughs> like, if you think going back to play, like, the first Virtua Fighter, it looks really jagged and janky now, this is still worse. They're they're trying to do something kind of like the old, uh, what's it, WrestleFest mm. arcade game, okay. I think, but it does not look anywhere near that animation quality. It's everything is, is super glitchy and, yeah. like, jerky and everything. It's... It's terrible. And not for nothing, but they're still making WCW games at this point. Yeah. I don't know if Ukes was doing or who was doing at this point. Why not just use actual game footage, say, hey, here's some money, build Jimmy King at this, and we can use this footage. Yeah. Movie. Or does he even have to be playing as Jimmy King? Just No. Like, he's literally have him playing uh, WCW NWO Revenge. Yeah. But I mean, if you're going to cross more things, you could have him add Jimmy King and make yeah. him a downloadable character in one of those games. Or just cheat and do the uh, WWF one that actually had a character creator, mm, make Jimmy true. King in that, and make, you know, Sting or somebody and hide the WWF logos. You'll be good. There you go. There were options. Yes. That's what we're saying. <laughs> there are many options, yes. So, fortunately, this guy has the power of the internet, which apparently they couldn't think to do themselves. He tells them where. Jimmy King might be tracking down his ex-wife and his parents as well. This guy will appear again later in the movie as a convenient exposition character with the internet. Basically filling the role Justin Long played in Galaxy Quest. He's not as important to the plot, like, you know, obviously Justin Long's very important to the third act of that movie, explaining how the ship's mapped out, but that's clearly what they're going for. That was made like two years before this movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, if, if that's an accident, I apologize to them, but it doesn't look like an accident whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Remotely. 
So along the way, they track down Jimmy King's parents. They can they'll find him there first. There's a kind of funny bit, to be fair, where Arquette is surprised that they're around because apparently Jimmy King's biography says that they died in a plane crash. Yeah, he and Sean like start very genuinely explaining to them that Jimmy King uh, comforted, I think, like the mom after his dad tragically died, or I think they so, well, they've been or both, they both yeah. And he's just very earnestly explaining yeah. this. <laughs> well, he, I think he tells them that they both died in the plane crash, but, but then later he has to help nurse them back to health, which is con- obviously yeah. contradicting the fact that they're dead, and all the fact that they're right in front of him. That that part is actually genuinely funny. The just earnestness with which they portray that, where he's he's going into Jimmy King's biography and what a great man he is, yeah. and, and literally says to, says to one of them, "And after you died." Yes, yeah. <laughs> That's again a point I will give credit to this movie. A little background for you might help fill us out a bit. Uh, Jimmy King's dad is played by Louis Arquette. Oh. Who is David Arquette's father. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Jimmy King's mother is played by Kathleen Freeman, who has a multi-decade career starting in the 40s, ending thankfully not with this movie, but about a year from, from this movie coming out, she died of old age. She was in her 80s. Yeah, so it, it's interesting that David Arquette's dad is playing someone else's dad in this movie. That is a little bit strange, isn't it? He should have just gone out and had, had his, gotten his mom to be in the movie as well, if that was possible. Just have both of his parents play this guy's parents. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> then we could get into the idea that Jimmy King is probably just a figment of David Arquette's uh, imagination. Ooh. Make this movie much more interesting. <laughs> is Jimmy King his Tyler Durden? Yeah. Okay, exactly, I, yeah. I, I could work with that. Yeah, yeah. I can totally work Fight Club into this somehow. <laughs> Any, anything to escape the reality of this movie. They also find Jimmy King's wife, or rather his ex-wife. The ex-wife is played by Carolyn Ray, who previously appeared in the film Man on the Moon about Andy Kaufman. Oh, okay. Which is notable because that film features Jerry, Jerry Lawler. Lawler. Right. So, she's in a film with Jerry Lawler, and another film with a parody of Jerry Lawler. Kind of a weird thing. That is, that is strange. The other connection that's kind of funny as well is that Carolyn Ray's big part around this time was working on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which plays one of the aunts. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought she looked familiar. Yes. And so on that show, if you remember, there is a talking cat. Yes. Not a talking cat. <laughs> a, just a normal talking magical cat. The voice of that magic cat was a character actor who is still act- doing stuff today, but is known for a lot of people as the voice of the pro wrestling secrets revealed a special they ran on the of UPN. <laughs> a lot of lot of unfortunate connections yes. in this movie. I mean, if his goal was to prove how fake wrestling is, this movie didn't help. <laughs> it helped him. It didn't help us. It helped him for sure. Yeah. But yeah, she explains that he hasn't paid alimony, and his his adult son, who of course is bent over with his you know, butt hanging out because this is that kind of movie. Yep. He hasn't like finished paying for the braces he's wearing or something really stupid like that, and he's he has he owes them money and they haven't seen him. Right. Using the power of the internet from the character they met earlier, they will track him down the actual Jimmy King at a trailer park, whereupon he is hiding his trailer, dressed him with clothing to avoid creditors. <laughs> I guess the idea is he never saved any of his money. I guess because he's apparently had a fourteen-year career in WCW, as yeah. we established. Much of it, it sounds like, as world champion. Yes. Which you would expect would mean quite a... A good seven-figure salary, I would think. Yeah. Right, yeah. but they, they paid a quarter million dollars to Randy Savage's brother, who never appeared in the company. Yes. 
WCW, for all the faults that we can assign to WCW, underpaying people was not one of them. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, so they, they figure out he's there. He, of course, tends to be someone else. Then so they, they give him what they give him thirty bucks, I think it is. Yeah, he like charges them a personal appearance fee for uh coming into thirty park. bucks for five minutes or something like yes. that. They try to talk him up saying he needs to come back. He then tells them it's all fake because we need to establish that some more. Yes. He's afraid to come back because I guess having worked with Paige for I assume years at this point, if the timeline is roughly the same DP's been a big star in this company for three at least three years. Yeah, three to four years. Yeah, probably. they would work together, I would think. But I guess now he's afraid of DDP because he's going to actually legit beat him up with the diamond cutter, apparently. Yep, that, that's a real move that definitely actually works and hurts people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. First they get him beer, which helps him a little bit. But then they basically antagonize him into beating them up. Yeah. What's, what's hilarious about this, and actually another kind of legitimately funny moment, is they try to convince him that he can overcome adversity by recounting wrestling angles he was in, in which the Jimmy King fictional character was fictionally injured, but oh, came yeah. back from injuries. That's true, yeah. And he, of course, doesn't buy that part at all, but then uh, they annoy him enough that he actually you know, threatens to beat him up. <laughs> yes. There's a random line when they, when they were counting that, as I recall, where they said that he beat Sting after Sting broke three vertebrae in his neck with his bat. <laughs> Which is like, wait, so Sting is suddenly an unsafe worker now? That doesn't seem that doesn't seem believable. Also, that would mean heel Sting at that point. Well, I mean, remember, there like, was the very limited late '99 period, so maybe that's like two weeks. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. maybe that happened in that two weeks. Maybe, yeah. It's not clear what's happened with the world title and say Goldberg's run at the top in nineteen ninety eight if Jimmy King is world champion. Yeah, this is, we're clearly way off into the alternate universe uh yes. timeline at this point. Yes. Yeah, when they goad him into into beating them up, he of course finishes beating them up also with his finisher, the crown. Yes. Which is again a jumping double axe handle off in this case like his sofa or something. Yes. Which is again a wrestling move that is explicitly done to not actually hurt people. Yes. Being done in this case to legit KO them for like yeah. hours. And le- and let's be clear, I'm, I'm sure you could hit someone hard enough with that to yeah. hurt. Sure. But the point is, this is a guy trained to do this move not to hurt people. Yes. But you're selling this as a move that he's trained to use to hurt people. Yeah. It's a totally different approach. Yes. And he's doing it in pro wrestling style he's not doing it in legitimate bar fight kind of style to them also if memory serves correctly as part of the bit where they're leading to beat them up our cat character puts a figure four on him or at least put some form of figure four on he, him. he, he yeah, starts to put some kind of hold on him again yeah. so again the idea is you need to fantasize doing wrestling moves but you can, you can also just do them for real yeah and they and they actually work yes but also it's still fake yes it, it can't decide this and no. it keeps coming up so the next morning, they wake up after having been apparently vicious to KO'd and presumably having brain damage. I mean, how could you tell? That's true. I don't know how you could tell, yeah. <laughs> it's like having a, having a really low tire and then they go flat. Like, I guess it's a difference, but I can't really see the difference. <laughs> so after having woken up with, I guess, no repercussions, Jimmy King tells them that they're going to go to Nitro because he's going to punch DDP, and that's going to settle everything. Yeah, he just wants to attack DDP and Titus Sinclair. He does, he's not really saying I want to get back into wrestling no. or anything. He's just saying, I want to beat up these guys that did me wrong. I'm just in it for revenge, like a true hero. Exactly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> of 
I found it very appropriate for WCW and this movie that uh, the lyrics of the song that's playing as they go driving down the road towards Nitro mm-hmm. mention I am my own worst enemy. Yeah, that's Feels fitting. Very, uh, very appropriate for both this movie and WCW. <laughs> I could see that, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, he remember a very short time ago in which they lost their sewage truck. It's important to remember that because the next scene... They are driving in a company delivering porta potties with Jimmy King inside one of them to sneak backstage to Nitro. True. Where do they get those from? Yeah, because it said there. I think they're driving his RV there. Correct. But yeah, where did they get the porta potties? Once they get to town, they must call someone they know and rent them to porta potties and then sneak a guy in there and then get to drive them and even they don't work for the company. I didn't think about that. Yeah, because I mean, Nitro is a touring show. Yes. It's not like it's in the same city all the time where you could even say, oh, they just called their buddy that they normally do work for in the same city. Nitro is probably in a completely different location by now. Presumably, they just, I guess, have contacts. Sean is very well connected. He was like, Mm. oh, I know my dad's buddy that he used to work with in in the great Porta Potty War of 89. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't even think about that. Where the heck did they get the porta potty? Yeah, inquiring minds want to know. Right. <laughs> it's also worth noting to a certain degree that so the backstage area of Nitro is just full of porta potties, but they're in like a massive arena. Yeah, wouldn't it have its own bathrooms? Yeah. Do you need porta potties back there? How poorly equipped is this arena? It's not, it's not like they're going to Road Wild. Right. Yeah. It's not an outdoor event like road wild or the one bash at the beach that's actually at the beach yeah it's an actual arena these places have bathrooms yes oh god good gosh <laughs> the more you think about it the worse it gets this this gets stupider the more the more we talk about it yeah they've set king up in the porta potty mm-hmm. and then Paige and titus are just backstage just happen to be cutting a promo next to the porta potties because that's a great place to do your promos. They've had a kind of live promo backstage next to the porta potty. Yeah. yeah, so that you can have, you know, charming noises emitting during the middle of your promo. That'd be yeah. where I'd want to cut it, sure. I mean, Bam and Bigelow works as companies. So hopefully he's not using one of those. Yeah. And meanwhile, um, Arquette and Sean are, you know, leching on some uh, Nitro girls. Yeah, they're just casually watching them change. Yeah, because that's something legal to do. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, so during this point, Titus does establish who he's probably actually supposed to be by giving a very Vince McMahon, they love who I tell them to love yes, line. that's true. But I guess if you're trying to model him after Vince McMahon, you're predicting the future where McMahon ends up buying WCW. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Paige insults King, King bursts out of the porta potty and attacks him in a toilet seat. So we get our technical third match. Yes. That being Jimmy King. Versus Diamond Dallas Page in an unsanctioned backstage brawl for Jimmy King's remaining small amount of pride. There you go. Referee for this one, technically, is Billy Silverman. Okay. We get some interesting moments as the camera crew is now worried about things not being in the script, but apparently didn't give a crap when everybody was, you know, suddenly beating up Jimmy King in the middle of a match where he was probably supposed to win. Yes. King beats the crap out of Page with various implements. The boys, meanwhile, get beat up by other wrestlers, and Billy Silverman counts King's pinfall on Paige after King does the crowning, which, again, is suddenly a move that can actually legitimately knock you out. I believe he also teleports to be able to do that as well. Probably, he, yeah. Because he's, like, suddenly on top of one of the porta potties Yeah, I don't recall us being shown him climbing up. I may have just drifted off, but... No, no, I, I didn't see it. <laughs> because they're, they're cross-cutting between our two heroes decide to double-team Tyus Sinclair... And again, put on like a leg hold. The second time in this movie, one of them does a leg hold. Yeah. And then one like leg chokes him. 
and it takes Sinclair like a full minute of this happening to call the wrestlers to throw them around and knock them out. Yeah. I do have to say, I think this was probably still better than a lot of actual WCW hardcore matches. Mm-hmm. If I had to choose to watch this again or that um, Junkyard Invitational, yeah. this in a heartbeat. At the very least, it's shorter. <laughs> Would you rather, rather watch this again than play WCW Backstage Assault? I have actually never played that game. Lucky you. After that match, they've got uh, Sinclair deciding to try and make the best of this, so he actually says that he's going to allow King one match, which will be a cage match, and all he has to do to get the title is survive, which I guess is, is somewhat at odds with how the match is portrayed later yeah. on in the movie, because it sounds like it's just going to be like a last 15 minutes against him. Yeah, a time limit thing or something, yeah. That's definitely not how it plays out. No. Gordy accepts on King's behalf to King's great displeasure. Yes. I will at least say that's a very wrestling thing. Yeah. That, that kind of calls back to the 96 Luger and Sting bits. Oh, yeah. A little bit where Luger is constantly getting them into trouble. What's a Chicago street fight? <laughs> I love that bit. I love that bit. Yeah. <laughs> I will say for as bad as this movie is with giving us terrible jokes with Gordy and Sean, we had occasional moments like where they get beat up by, I think, it, I want to say it's Van Hammer and Bam Bam Bigel, I believe. Yeah, something like that. One of, one of them gets like press slam and thrown on, onto a, I think it's a Hummer backstage. I don't know if it's the white Hummer, <laughs> but it sure is a white Hummer backstage. Actually, timeline that might be the same one. That'd be funny if they were just actually shooting that angle on this time. That would and that be was funny. backstage. Yeah, that's late '99 when they shot the. If they shot this backstage at Nitro, yeah, I could see that being the being the actual prop. Yeah, that'd be a weird example to gain the most for their money out of that. Which is- maybe they maybe they couldn't resolve the uh, Hummer plot because they accidentally broke the Hummer with slamming an actor onto it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so as much as you don't want to see really be around Gordy and Sean, at least you get to see them beat up every once in a while to remind you. Those are the more entertaining parts of the film, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, After the match, we get the follow-up on the part where our two heroes are leering on the Nitro Girls changing in the room. The lead Nitro Girl, Sasha, who is not a real Nitro Girl. Who is described, I believe, as perhaps the Nitroist Nitro Girl of them all in one of the dumbest lines in the movie. I literally have no idea what that means. I think I actually got dumber repeating that line. <laughs> <laughs> so she interrupts them, perving on her co-workers and presumably friends, and proceeds to hit on Gordy, which seems out of character, but will eventually be addressed. There's a odd exchange where he says he has her poster at home, and he starts posing like poster poses. That was weird. And then he does the pose, and she's apparently super impressed by that. Which, again, it at least is explained later, but yeah. Yeah. It's weird that his idea is, no, it's this pose, and just, like, turns on his side and poses on, like, a road to road kind of car. That whole bit was bizarre. We also, during that sequence, get Mean Gene asking Jimmy King if people think that Mean Gene is sexy, and Jimmy King confirming that he does. Yeah. Inquiring mind want to know. At the end of this party, which apparently is just like a random backstage of the arena barbecue tailgate party. And and which again, let's just be clear here. Gordy, Sean, and King have been invited to this. Yes. Despite their involvement in WCW being an illegal intrusion and assault on WCW performers. Yes. And the fact that it's been previously established that basically everyone in WCW hates Jimmy King. Yes. So what happened is a guy who nobody liked got fired, uh-huh. 
came back and beat the crap out of one of your star performers. Yes. And you're like, yeah, guy, come to our uh, come to our post-show party. Yes. Apparently we like you now. Yeah. <laughs> I guess in the like what week maybe two weeks? I don't think it's even been a week. Titus and DDP have been so bad. Yes. That everyone's like, man, we're nostalgic for the days of Jimmy King. <laughs> Remember that that drunk out of shape we really miss him. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. So a a distraught and mostly drunk Jimmy King tries to run away and falls in an open manhole, which is definitely safe. (laughs) We then got to the next day where the sewer department track him down and pull him out and say that he apparently didn't want to leave. I don't know why the match could be so bad that he'd rather live in the sewers. Because it's not like this is the day of the show itself and if he, no one will let him escape. Right. He, He has to drive slash fly to this show, which is in like two weeks. Right, yeah. He has plenty of time to find a way out of this situation. You have other options, dude. Let's May, just put way more way. options. <laughs> yeah, he implies that Sinclair is going to kill him live on pay-per-view, which would seem to be maybe a bad strategy for Sinclair's, you know, then upcoming murder trial after that. Yeah. I think Phoenix Wright would even have some trouble getting it out of that one. <laughs> that, that'd be one of the harder games to do, yeah. <laughs> At least if you're going to do it, wait until, you know, later 2000 to minimize the witness count. There you go, yeah. <laughs> Doing that last Darkade. There's, there's, yeah. there's a small crowd there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they try to encourage him to fight by, like, singing a fan song that they They do, for, yeah. Which is awful. Yeah. Jimmy King is the best wrestler. He's the bestler. Better than all the wrestlers. He's got class. He's really... Better. It reminds me of this. There was a recurring sketch used to in Siren Live. It was Kristen Wiig and Fred Armisen. Where they would come on, and the joke was, air quotes, to me anyways, joke was that they were a singer-songwriter duo, and they had all these songs they wanted to sing. But they never may- actually had songs. As an improv exercise, one would start singing, and they'd try to sing a song they were making up as they were doing it. Oh, God. Yeah, it's really bad. They did like six times. I'd always rather watch that than listen to them sing. It was really bad. He, he runs away, which is the only appropriate response to that, yeah. uh, that segment. <laughs> exactly. I could see if, if he fell in the sewer and they were singing that like down the manhole, that may be why you want to come back out again, but no. Yeah, yeah. So now they've recovered him. They say that he needs to train. And King, apparently, you know, is one guy that can train him. Sal Bandini. Who, who is clearly supposed to be like a Stu Hart riff, right? Yeah. According to Wikipedia, he's a parody of Luthez slash Stu Hart. Definitely more of a Stu Hart. Crusty old man that breaks people's limbs. Yes. He's played by Martin Landau who won an Oscar five years before the movie came out. And I have no idea why it's in this movie. How the mighty have fallen. Other than maybe he really liked playing an old man character who gets to beat people up, but... I guess. That can't be worth doing this movie. He had to, like, know a guy yeah. involved in the making of this and want to do a favor for someone or something. Maybe, right? It's yeah. like, you're too good for this man. <laughs> right. So in his introductory scene, they go to a random building where he lives at. And as they get there... He apparently was just training a high school wrestling team who were all come out with various comedic injuries like an arm in a sling, head wrapped up. There's no visible medical staff, so no. either Sal was hurting them uh, and then doing the medical treatment on them as well, or the team members are all like trained EMTs because they come here so often. Yes. <laughs> it's at this point, the lot starts to fall apart a little bit. <laughs> at this point? <laughs> yeah, I know. We get literally one scene where he's apparently training our, our main hero, K. 
king sort of sort of fights out of some holds, basically like kicking the old man in the face, who stays on the ground for like a good minute, telling like he's actually dead from being kicked in yeah. the face once, and then pops up and of course he hits Jimmy King in the balls, which from this point will start to become a theme in this movie. That's by true. The way. Yeah. I mean, if you're nutshots and WCW were definitely a recurring theme, especially at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a 1999, 2000s WCW thing. For sure. On a related front, apparently hanging around the same area, Sasha decides to romance Gordy. They have a date, but instead of going out anywhere, which, to be fair to her, would you want to be seen in public at their cat like this no. point? No. It's really for the best that she stays home with them. <laughs> yes. Self-preservation strategy there. Yes. He apparently woos her so so much so that she wants to go right to the bedroom immediately. Whereupon she flashes him off camera. He yells for an object and punches her in the face. <laughs> and then I cut away to I guess whatever's happening there. Yeah, now, now we 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 can't fail to mention though the extremely weird poster in her bedroom. Oh, okay. Which is her. Oh yeah. In like wrestling Nitro Girl kind of poster pose. But instead of being an actual photograph, it is a drawing of her in very anime style. Oh, right. Which was bizarre. Yes. This one of the movies where you actually wonder sometimes where these, these props went. Like, does someone keep those paintings? I, I really hope so. Yeah. Like, I hope that someone actually has props from Ready to Rumble. Yeah. The character was by Rose McGowan. I wonder, does she have, like, a room in her house with all this old stuff like that? Or, or did she just burn it? Yeah. <laughs> she has a poster of her machine gun leg from Planet Terror. Cool things. I would keep some of that stuff, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, while they're away, Gordy writes a postcard to his father. Oh, right. Which he proceeds to put on the refrigerator and then shoot his refrigerator several times. He's he's a terrible shot, too. He is. He misses, like, everything. He, like, he misses all but one shot. He, yes. He, like, shoots four times and, and three miss. <laughs> yes. I think we didn't need more proof he's a bad cop. He's also bad at actually being a cop. Yes, well, yeah. Apparently. Now that, that King has done all of one training session, he decides to recruit a new posse to replace his old one. So he goes to the first person you would think of to get help. Goldberg. I mean, at least, like, he has a good win, win-loss record. That's true. <laughs> but he's not exactly known for teamwork. <laughs> Although, does he have that same record if Jimmy King has been world that, champion? That is, that is true. That is true, yeah. God, now I'm just picturing... The famous night show where Goldberg beats Hogan as being Goldberg beating Jimmy King. <laughs> Get that massive eight point whatever rating. For that. That's yeah. funny. <laughs> Picture that. And is it also at this point, while Goldberg is basically complaining about how bad Jimmy King is and he won't to do with him, that we actually beat the biggest star of this movie, although he's not actually supposed to be seen in this movie. In the background of, of the shot, while they're talking to Goldberg. A young man with blonde hair sits on one of the elliptical machines, visibly looks at the camera, because he seems surprised at the camera in the gym he's working out in. <laughs> and that man, of course, John Cena. Yeah. Ironically, we can see him. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's just an utterly shocking moment, right? It's like looking at it in hindsight. Yes. Like the first public appearance yeah. of John Cena in, a, in something filmed for production mm-hmm. to yeah. other people is in the movie... Of the opposite company of the one he'll end up working for. It's amazing. He's like in a a half second shot in the background, but it's clearly him. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. To to really appreciate, you have to look back at Cena in his early days as the prototype, which was gimmick in OVW, where he was apparently some sort of cyborg, I guess is the idea, or android of some degree. And he had this weird blonde hair with like 
pulled back and only in the middle and like a side shape down until he looks like here. It's kind of amazing that just that he's in this movie at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's absolutely incredible to see the guy here. It's it's funny that you know you have this movie coming out in in two thousand. Mm-hmm. I don't think Cena debuts for like another couple of years in yeah. WWF. Right. Two thousand two. Yes. So this is so this is actually something that only becomes interesting in hindsight. It's like yeah, when this movie came out, no one's commenting on that. No. But you look back at this movie a few years later and like. <gasps> The Wait, biggest the- star of WWE for the next like ten years yeah, yeah. is in this movie. <laughs> it's kind of amazing, yeah. So following this scene, Goldberg turning them down. This is again another point where there's significant confusion about reality. Oh, yeah. In this, because we have Goldberg turning them down because he works alone. Uh huh. But again, is this Goldberg the character, or is this Goldberg's actual wrestling strategy? Uh huh. Because even in this world, we've established that wrestling is planned storylines. Yeah. So Goldberg works alone, air quotes, mm-hmm. as a character. This is not something that he's chosen to do, presumably. This is the character written for him. Yeah. But he's talking as though he has chosen to work alone in legitimate competition. Right. Again, you can't decide. Yes. Is this a legitimate competition or is it a performance art? Yeah, and Demi King goes to him first, not just because he's the big star, but because they were a tag team together, apparently. Yeah. And Goldberg doesn't want to work him for one because of Titus, and also because he tells her about how he threw up on him in the ring at some point. Yeah. And he's like, well, I was your partner. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's so unclear over the course of this film whether wrestling is supposed to have any part of reality to it or be entirely a performance art. Right. This is just another example of that. There's so many little points across this movie where you can't really tease out which view of wrestling they're trying to take. Yeah. After this scene, we learn the Rose McGowan character, Sasha, is working with Titus and tells him about how he's training with, with the guy. Though again, he's only trained them for like five minutes. I guess sometimes right, yeah. both have passed, but they don't show that. Yeah, they don't do... It's, it's, Without they training don't, montage. They do not the do a training montage. Yeah. Which seems like the biggest no-brainer in a sports-esque yeah. movie, right? Maybe they could only get Landau for, like, a couple scenes. I, I hope for his sake that's what it was. <laughs> he came in like, what's the script? What? <laughs> and, okay, I said I'd do it, but yeah. he, only this much. He only, he only read his page, not the rest of them, yeah. You've got one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Titus then sends his two goons, Perry Saturn and Sid Vicious, to take out Sal. Saturn and Vicious somehow sneak into his place, undetected, as, as seems. Picturing Sid Vicious sneaking is a, a great vision. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, again, one of the least realistic things in the yes. movie. Yes. No, Perry Saturn, I could maybe see that. A former army ranger. Yeah. Now, he could have been trained by a former Navy SEAL, Jess Ventura. <laughs> that, that I could see. Jess Ventura could sneak in, as long as he's not wearing all his jewelry and headpiece yeah. and clanking the whole way in there. If, if he's doing that, then he serves as your flashbang. Oh, there you go. He's point of flashlight. Yes. So they sneak in. Sal goes to the kitchen, and then he seems to come back, and then they grab him in his, his easy chair, where apparently he set up a dummy of himself, knowing they were there. Which, I will say, is now one of the most realistic things in the movie, that Sid Vicious could be fooled by that. Yes. Maybe not so much Perry Saturn, but Sid Vicious for sure. Yeah. <laughs> if you're wondering how he did his super speed, that's a good question, and I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> a very good question, Yes. He then pops up through a trap door, grabs the legs, starts wrestling them around, 
But then I believe it's Saturn hits him with a chair, correct? Isn't it Saturn? I don't remember. I, I choose not to remember much of this scene. <laughs> then they just start kicking him, you know, in what looks like real non-shooty style. Where they stand over him, like, sort of stomping their feet. And right, they're doing wrestling stomps. Yes, very blatantly. As you noted earlier, Perry Saturn was gone from the company at this point, famously leaving in January 2000 alongside his cohorts in the Radicals, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, and Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, so he's it's it's weird. He right he he's one of the most prominent actual wrestlers in this movie. Yeah. It's not a lot of scenes, but yeah. he has more scenes probably than any actual wrestler in the film, other than DDP. Yeah, but he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> By contrast, future five time five time not thing at all five time champion Booker T has a very small part in the movie. Right. Much less than Perry Saturn. Right. Yeah. They they clearly had no idea that that was coming, no. or they would not have had him be so prominent in this film. Yes. So, they're next visiting, visiting with the hospital. He gives them the sage advice of, don't attack someone's weakness, attack their strength, because they won't be expecting it. Will this pay off? No. No. Not at slightly. <laughs> they leave the room, and Gordy, while going to the snack machine, overhears Sasha talking to Titus, thus learns she's a traitor. Gasp, horror. As they leave the hospital, he then leaves her behind, which I guess is good because you can't spy on them. But at the same time, you you could have used like if you could have tricked a her. Tactician, you could have used her, you know, to feed false information. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's let's just be honest. We were not expecting that, of course. No, that's true. <laughs> he does uh, also tell her that he's going to find his heart, but she can't because she doesn't have one. Yes. So I presume that uh, Ric Flair at some point. Uh, ripped out her heart to show the world that she had no heart. Yes. <laughs> now that they don't have a trainer, they decide the only thing to do is go home. And they mean Gordy and Sean's home, not King's home to train, which is kind of I weird. mean, technically, they're in the King's home the entire time. It's his RV that they're driving around in. Right. <laughs> Though it's actually his parents' RV. That is true. Yes. That but yeah, true. all the points the same. Along the way, King, feeling bad for what he did, decides to visit his ex-wife, leading to the Second of many times, he is kicked in the balls. And third time. Because she does third it time. twice. <laughs> yes. And third time, because he does it again, yes. Yeah, he promises, I believe, to pay off his debts by... He's going to win a million dollars, because Sinclair actually promised a million dollars if he succeeded in addition to the title. Now it's Dark 84. Yes. And uh, he's going to use the million dollars to pay off his debts and get his uh, kid a good dentist, because he's in horror at the dental work that his kid has had done. Yeah. Because, again, apparently he paid enough, paid enough money to get braces put in, but... Can't pay to have braces removed, I guess, is the idea. Because he has braces on visibly. I think the idea is that King wasn't paying for it, so she went to some fly-by-night back alley dentist or something. Oh. I don't know. I guess those exist. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> but it's, like, it's not like, oh, he needs braces, he can't afford them. He has braces. He's right. wearing them. Yes. But I guess they're not good braces, or you can't get them off for some reason. Right. So now back at their place, they decide to, again, go back to the plot they briefly in the abandon, which is reforming the king's posse, which leads to more of a montage than they got for anything else, including training, weirdly enough, where the random people come in and they get beat up or mocked for some reason. But meanwhile, also, they've lost a member. Ah, yes, of course. Because Gordy's dad stops by and just, like, arrests him, basically. Yeah. And says, he's got, says he has to train to be a cop. Yeah. And Gordy immediately just goes, okay, I guess that's what I'm doing now. They, like, go over to Gordy's place, and he's completely given over at mm -hmm. this point he just looks over them and says well my dream was stupid <laughs> you guys better get out of here yeah. before my dad shoots you <laughs> and she's yes. like 
plot points in this movie just kind of happen because they're like, oh, we need we need this part of a traditional sports movie. Yeah. We need the moment where the the hero doubts his dream, but they don't have anything that that's happened that would cause him to legitimately do that. Right. So they just have it happen anyway. Right. Also, it, it's not as a major plot point as you would think. The idea that he wants to become a pro wrestler. I mean, he likes wrestling. I mean, I like wrestling, but I'm not going to become a pro wrestler. I don't think before that point that I had actually heard him say, I actually want to be a pro wrestler. Right. I just knew that he liked pro wrestling. Yeah. His career was running that sewage truck slash business, which he then ruined, of course. He he seemed satisfied with it up until the point that they wrecked their truck. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not being pulled away from his dream of becoming a wrestler to become a cop. He's pulled away from the job he can't do anymore because he wrecked the truck that allowed him to do his business. Yeah. So it's not really like he even gave him his dreams, per se, either. Yeah, but like apparently his dad talks to him like one more time after probably a lifetime of talking to him about pro wrestling being stupid yes. and most likely holding a gun to his face the mm-hmm. entire time because that seems like what his dad would do. Yeah. But this time he's like, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Gordy's also pressured because apparently his, he has two sisters that we see in all of one scene. Yes. Who apparently are also cops. Yes. And the leave the dad brags about how he shot her first perp. <laughs> yes, that's right. I forgot that scene. They're, they're just sitting in their full cop uniform, including sunglasses, at the dinner table in the house when he walks in and out. Yeah, there's there's so many moments in this movie that are like screwball comedy things. Yeah. Not vague sports movie things. It, again, it can't decide what it wants to be. Yeah. So now having not really trained all that much and basically picked three random people to be their posse, including this lady in a silver bikini, just because, uh, I guess they're now ready for the pay-per-view main event, which was in this show called, like, what, the Royal Bash or something? The Royal Bash, yeah. I don't get why they couldn't use an actual WCW pay-per-view title. It's yeah. your company. Did you sue yourself yeah, to stop yeah, right? you from yeah. doing it? <laughs> like, why isn't it Sambury? Yeah. Or... Starcade. Starcade, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. I mean, you can't be worse than the actual Starcade 99, can you? It'd be tough. Yeah. Why would Sinclair name his pay-per-view, which had to have been advertised before this challenge yeah. for Jimmy King, Correct. in a way that references the character that he kicked out of wrestling? Yeah. There's no other person that this could be referring to yeah. in WCW at this period, right? I mean, is- well, I guess there is Prince Iakea. Yeah, I don't think you'd be naming a pay-per-view no. after Prince Iakea. No. And plus, he's, I think, at this point, the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea. Um, it's Maybe not when this was being not, filmed. Not when though. this was filmed, but yeah. by the time this is out, yes. Yeah. The best rationalization I can come up with is that I believe they just came off a pay-per-view for that Nitro, where Jimmy Jimmy King beat someone to retain his, the world title. They don't really say this, but given the timeline that there's gap there between shows... So like, there's no pay-per-view like that they miss. They go from right. Nitro right pay-per-view. So presumably, there's a pay-per-view right before this movie happened. Right. And obviously, they're famous, as we've noted, for promoting a show based purely on a name on the, the show. Fair enough. So they might have... Said, go see WWE's Royal Bash. On the previous pay-per-view. Yes. At that point, Jimmy King's still a part of the company. Yeah. And the next night, they do the whole angle where he's fired. And that kind of works, unless you look at it logically and assume that Titus probably knew he was going yeah. to be firing Jimmy King. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's also worth noting that the graphic looks eerily similar to King of the Ring. It does. It's yeah. the gold like crown outline, and it's like it's almost the same purple. Even. It is, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the the recruitment mon- montage is just completely unnecessary. It just bloats the movie with a few one-off joke characters that they proceed to do nothing with. Yeah. We talk about those. There's jokes and bits they borrow from the movie. I think it's kind of a cliche, the recruiting people thing. But there is a bit in Mystery Men, which yeah. came in 1999, where they crew a bunch of superheroes. They don't actually, other than the one who joined the group, don't pay off. Right. So I don't know if it's them remember that off or just a massive cliche. And also, I, I can't fail to mention King's training method that they show in the not-quite-training-montage version 2 mm-hmm. is him running alongside Sean, who's on a bike. Oh, yes. And being followed by the three kids from earlier in the film, also on bikes. Yes. The three kids are barely pedaling and still threatening to outdistance King. Yes. Yeah, it's the worst version of the punch-out training montage right. I've ever seen. Speaking of the posse, by the way, so I get the King was invited back because he's definitely meant to be beaten up and or killed. I kind of can rationalize Sean and Gordy being allowed, but what with the other three people they brought with them? Right, yeah. Why, why, they why do you allow them in? Yeah. Yeah. If, especially if King's right and Titus wants to kill him, you'd think he'd want to minimize the number of people that could fight back. Yes. It's very strange. As teased earlier, we get the second of two scenes involving the Brittany and Wendy characters, in which Brittany suddenly is interested in Sean now that he's been on TV, even though she clearly doesn't watch the show. I guess she could have heard he was on TV, but why would she care? Because she's clearly not interested in wrestling. No. From the earlier scene that I barely remember happening. Yes. But yeah, so I guess maybe you can reason that... Uh, what's her face? Wendy? Wendy, yeah, Wendy. That Wendy told her about it, maybe? Because yeah. they seem to maybe possibly be buddies? Yeah. It's, it's unclear why they are, because they'd have nothing in common. And, yeah, one of them hates the hobby of the other one. Yeah. And hates and hates the people that one that's clearly in love with, yeah. Yes. But so, yeah, they're getting ready to send off. The gruff cop dad allows Gordy to be driven there and tell them they can't go. Which seems like something he would not do. It's actually a very nice thing for him to yeah. do, right? Yeah, yeah. Like a final send off the guy who is <laughs> in danger. It's weird that he drives them there personally. Yeah, it's not like he, they show him like sneak away and then the co- he like hears a cop running. I gotta go because he's looking literally driven there in a cop car. Yes, by the dad. Yeah, yeah, by the dad. It's not like he sneaks out and then gets caught. No, no. Right. Yeah. So Wendy's second of two scenes involves her. Being of a Sean and saying she has a present for him, pushing inside the RV, and then we have all the wrap-up stuff with Gordy, and then the RV drives away, but then Sean, off-camera, tells him to stop, and they both got out of the car. Naked. Yes. Because she's wrapped, and they're wrapped in the, I think it's the NWO sheet, I believe. It's a, it's a wrestling, like, big blanket. I think so, yeah. I think it's NWO. We should be Wolfpack at this point. Just they hate this movie even more. <sighs> like, don't land your back with the Wolfpack, you know? No. Okay, worth a try. <laughs> but yeah, she wishes him good luck, and then he leaves her with the blanket and runs <laughs> runs out into the RV. In case you wanted to see Scott Conn's butt. Or Scott Conn's doubles butt. I guess it's at least maybe slightly progressive that it's the guy that gets shown nude on screen. Mm-hmm, yeah. But <laughs> not in any great way, let's put it that way. No, no. We're now going to the final pay-per-view, and we've left Gordy behind and have Sean, who has had none of the plot buildup whatsoever yes. around his character as now the main non-wrestling character. Yes. <laughs> Who, I guess, is now a wrestling pimp. A, 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 yes, he, he, he dresses as the godfather. Yes. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, so now they're in Las Vegas, which I feel like is not a place they had a lot of big shows at. They, I'm sure they had some there, but 
it's not like an iconic WCW location. Right, yeah. It's like the Omni. They Omni were just thinking, sense. hey, where's big places that they hold important fights? Yes. And they knew about boxing, so they went to Las Vegas. Yeah, same difference. Yeah. Totally. And this is also the point where we finally see Sting for oh, about hey. like 30 seconds, right? The icon. Yeah. yeah. The, one of the most famous performers in WCW history and one of his most successful and proudest achievements mm-hmm. shows up in its movie like close to two hours in. Yeah. Being threatened by Titus Sinclair backstage, you better not interfere, which again gets at like, okay, so who's the audience for this thing, uh-huh. right? You've taken the time to kind of establish your main characters over the course of this. Mm -hmm. And you've got the idea of, you know, you've got Gordy and Sean, you've got Jimmy King that you've told us who he is. Right. And shown us things developing in his life and everything. You've told us things about his relationship with Goldberg. Yeah. We may not know who Goldberg is if we don't watch WCW. Right. But we, we know that Goldberg exists and used to be Jimmy King's partner. Right. But if you are coming into this movie and... A poor, unfortunate WCW fan in your life has invited you to see this movie, but you are not yourself a WCW fan, lucky you. You get to this scene, and you're like, who's the dude in the face paint? Is is the crow in this movie? Because they do nothing to tell you even who Sting is. I can't actually remember if Sinclair even says his name. No, I don't think he does, no. But even if he does that, they have in no way informed you of anything about this guy. The only way you know that Sting at this point, is known for fighting against evil authority figures is if you have been watching WCW for years. Yes. But if you have been watching WCW for years, by this point, you have walked out of this movie. Hopefully, yes. (laughs) Right? Yes. (laughs) They could have at least helped a little by, during the betrayal bit, cut to the rafters and show Sting up there looking, like, displeased. Right, yeah. That kind of would work. Or show him, like, actually coming down to try and stop it, or just something that establishes that Sting exists yeah. for one thing and is at odds with titus sinclair yeah uh even if he doesn't necessarily like jimmy king yeah there's nothing there's nothing yeah. that says that if, if you hadn't had broken poor shivani's spirit you could have like where's sting stinks to be helping out here exactly sting is yeah such. yeah if he wasn't in the throes of a deep depression at that moment he might have thought yeah. to say something like that yeah, yeah. but no it's like if you were doing, you know, Lord of the Rings, uh-huh. and instead of inter- entering Aragorn and Bree, you wait until, like, the hobbits are in Mordor, approaching Mount Doom. Yeah. And you cut to uh, Aragorn staring into the Palantir that you have not been introduced to <laughs> yeah. either, and having a, having a verbal sparring match with Sauron. And you're like, who the heck is this dude? Yeah, right? Right? It's, it's that. Yeah. It's, it's so out of nowhere that he's just suddenly in this movie. Yeah. Again, like the previous one, we skip all of the build-up, so sadly we can't do a full fake review of WWE World Bash, because they only give us the one match to go over. <laughs> that, that would be interesting, for yeah. sure. I think it is like, showing snippets and they can infer, like, oh, here's this guy wrestling, it must have been this kind of match. Then, yeah. It made fun for us, but no, we had to ruin it. Thanks, Poovy. Should have known we were going to do this. Yeah, we just cut to uh, Sinclair revving up the crowd for a match that none of them would actually care to see. Yes. We do get a shot of King's parents have apparently come. Yes. Because I guess we needed that subplot back in the movie. Yeah. There's also an old lady that they, they showed briefly during the oh, original right. Nitro, who, it's it's the late 90s, early 2000s, the joke is he's an old lady that swears. Yes. And that's basically all it is. That, that, that's all that we get. Yeah. So we, we see this thing assembled over the ring. Mm-hmm. The triple cage. Yes. This thing is ridiculous, yes. right? It's the yeah, it's it's the retrofitted version of the Triple Cage of Doom from WWE Central '96. 
it's a, a large cage over the ring and the ringside area, yes. kind of the hell in the cell type cage. of thing. Correct. Yeah. And then it has a smaller cage that's maybe closer to the normal ring hugging cage mm-hmm. type on top of that. Correct. And then a yet smaller cage on top of that. Like a, a small room, basically. Yeah. yeah, it's just like a single little room on, on top of that. This thing's bonkers. Yes. And had to be terrifically expensive. Yes. And I will say, it's it's not actually... I don't think it's actually the one from Uncensored. Because no. the one from Uncensored was... Oh, yeah. I, I tried to fit in the idea that having a triple cage is on. Right, yeah. The one from Uncensored is, um, like, even the whole way up. That's true, yeah. Every cage is the same size going up right. the whole thing. Where this one has bigger, medium size, and then small. It's the Goldilocks story version of cage matches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, there you go. This is... Probably the second most realistic thing in the movie, outside of uh, Sid getting fooled by a dummy, yes. is that WCW waste an enormous amount of money on this massive cage yeah. for a match that involves a guy that's not even employed by the company mm-hmm. and that you're apparently planning to murder. <laughs> yes. Well, as a counterpoint, they have no intention of letting him win the match. So for that million dollars they're going to pay him, they don't have to pay him. Fair, fair point. So I guess they spent the million dollars on, on a cage. I should wonder how much of the $24 million budget went to this cage. Yeah. Probably a good amount. 22 Yeah, that's a break. Probably. No. <laughs> so our fourth and thankfully final match, which I guess is actually a match in this case. True. Is Jimmy King versus Diamond Dallas Page in a triple cage match of doom for Page's WCW World Heavyweight Championship. We actually do get Buffer in the movie. He's doing the ring announcing to make this movie much more expensive. Yes. Uh, Sean accidentally catches on fire during King's entrance, thanks to King's pyro. <laughs> Shades of the Undertaker, oddly yes. enough. Yeah, yeah. With enough, yeah. Page doesn't have his usual music. I'm not sure if this is music he was using at some point in 99, but it's definitely not the normal uh, Nirvana ripoff. He had the self high five music in 99 for sure. Yeah. When he's heel, he gets that. With the intro, it says self high five. So I guess someone involved in the movie actually realized that that song was a massive copyright infringement. Yeah, my my working theory is that so they credit Dweezil Zappa with writing this song in the credits. Mm-hmm. My working theory is that when they're putting the movie sound together, they heard that song and said, "We can't use it. We can't do this. You, Are you joking? You rewrite this now. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> all the wrestling themes are credited to him in this movie. And I know he didn't write the original themes. Yeah. I think the Goldberg one is even slightly written as well. <laughs> Buffer gives us his usual catchphrase. Yeah, that's $50,000 right there. Yep. Tony Schiavone, of course, still looks like he's in the throes of a massive depression. You okay, buddy? Do we also know that they're wearing generic, like, what, pale green WCW it, shirts? It's weird, right? Yeah, it's like these dull brown or green. Yeah. Like armor, armor fatigue. Yeah, yeah. It's like they look like they're working for UPS or something. Yeah, yeah. I have never seen them dress in anything remotely resembling a no. uniform uh, announcing. They're always dressed slightly differently from each other. I can maybe see they might wear something more casual or nitro, but they're on pay-per-view. They always dress up with them. Yeah. E- even if it's like Dusty's thing where he'll wear a suit jacket and then blue jeans. Right. That's still an effort there. It's very strange. <laughs> King and Paige fight. Paige mostly kicks King's butt. Paige goes to cuff King to the cage, but Sean throws powder in his face. And while Paige is laughing about that not actually being a real thing that works, cuffs Paige instead. I did find that a little bit funny. Mm. Kind of made use of the wrestling's not real mockery that's going on for the movie, but the character actually cleverly takes advantage of it still. Yeah. So, fair point there. Mm, sure. 
King goes to climb for the title, but various DDP goons come in to interfere, and King fights them off with a ladder. One of the goons, though, turns out to be King's son. So, King stops fighting and gets beaten up. He can't hit his own kid. No. And, of course, it's hitting the balls again. Yes, yeah. But Goldberg, Kidman, Disco Inferno, and Booker T come down to interfere, but they can't get in through the cage, even though it was open moments ago. Yes. To recap, our villains ran down, used bullet cards to open the cage, ran inside, beat him up, and then, I guess, someone back and locked it after they I, I guess so, yeah. But fortunately, Gordy arrives, driving on the back of a police motorcycle, and runs the door down to break them in. <laughs> yes. I'm sure that's something that would actually work. He comes work. flying off a ramp, yeah, it's amazing. Yes. And that's stupid, it's not the good amazing. The faces beat up the heels, and we see the police in their police station, including Gordy's dad, watching on TV and cheering uh, Gordy on. Sasha appears and tries to come on to Gordy, but gets clocked with a ladder. She just sort of walked in, I guess. Yeah, in the middle of a match. Yeah. Having seen wrestling shows for presumably her entire career. Yeah, exactly. Thinks that this is a safe thing to do. Yeah. Paige and King make it to the second of the three cages and brawl up there with weapons. Paige strangles King with a noose and makes it to cage three, but King goes up after him, only to be thrown all the way back down. Paige reaches for the belt, but suddenly, Sting swings down from the rafters and boots him off of the cage. He just swings in like Tarzan. Yes. <laughs> Which I think Sting definitely did. He never did rappel straight down <laughs> with a safety harness on. The boys uh, meet Sting downstairs and... Jimmy King's all right by me. You love Jimmy King. I love Jimmy King. We're men. And we're not afraid to say that we love other men. I love you. Me too, man. Hit me. Hit me. My turn. But he decks them. Yeah, that whole, that whole thing with that. That whole scene's played out weirdly, weirdly. It's a weird bit. Yeah. Him decking them is pretty funny, but... Yeah. They talk about, like, you know... You love you, man. You love each other. You know, it's this guy is loving each other. He looks really annoyed at that. Puts that last bit and then punches them. I'm like, <laughs> uh, does, do we need to talk about something, Sting? I think it's more intended to just be that they're very annoying. Maybe. it just. But I get your point. Yeah. It feels really weird. I, I'm not saying for sure it is, but it feels weird. Meanwhile, King and Paige climb back to the top of the cage. And Paige punches King down. But King punches him in the diamonds. King slams Paige and sends him all the way through the cages to the mat. Yeah, give him the world's softest body slam into the center of the cage they were standing on moments ago. Yeah. <laughs> and it breaks through all three layers. <laughs> King reaches up, takes the belt, and wins the match. New world champion and a million dollars. And again, to restate, when Titus was setting up this match, uh -huh. he said, all you have to do to win the belt is survive. Yes. But apparently someplace along the way, it became a climb for the belt yes. type of match. They would use this, actually did reuse this cage for other things besides the yeah, then like War Games 2000 yes. they use it for. And the gimmick of that one is you have to get to the top, get the belt. But all that really matters is if whoever walks out the door with the belt. You actually have to get back down yes. and out the door of the cage with the belt. Yeah. Right. Although in that one, again, they don't say you, you have to be the one that carries it all the way down. Just get, whoever walks out with the belt. Right, yeah. But to get it, someone has to go up there. Right. So thoughts on this bit? The buildup is kind of interesting. It looks like a big pay-per-view spectacle. This is definitely the kind of craziness that WCW would yes. actually put on pay-per-view, yeah. Correct. DP and Cannon definitely work a decent match around 
all the silliness, like the ladder spinning around bits and everything. It's nice to see people like Booker T and Kidman at least get to do something in this movie a little bit. It is funny later on, you can see them like still fighting even as the match is apparently won upstairs. And <laughs> it's like, you guys know the match is over. What are you guys doing? <laughs> it's weird that they, going back to the point where they have, they have to recruit the deposit to help him out, who then immediately are stuck outside the giant cage and have, in fact, other than Sean, have no bearing on the match whatsoever. Right, yeah. The like fireman guy. They, and the they don't matter guy. at all. No. They've re- they recruited these guys. Why? Like, you're going to have just some WCW guys come down to help him. So why not just have them be the recruits to begin with? Why not have him just call Booker T and company and say, hey, would you guys mind helping me out? I'm sorry for what I've done. You could address yeah. then the problems between Jimmy King and the other WCW mm-hmm. guys. Yeah. But you leave that subplot and instead recruit a bunch of comedic characters that you proceed to do nothing with. Yeah. I could see if they really wanted to have this stupid comedic aspect with the posse. Like, when the bad guys run out to interfere, have them, like, them and maybe Sean say, like, hey, stop, and then get, like, knocked out. Immediately knocked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, so they could joke about how that, that they brought a positive attack and they have nothing. Yeah. But they just stand there while it's happening. Even once the cages are open, they don't go inside and help. Yeah. At all. Yeah, there's decent action you can actually see, but there's weird bit for the cutaway, like, so, assuming this is not a real cage for working a match like the, what they do on the next pay-per-view, you can gimmick it heavily because it's all just being shot with movie. Yeah. So, why can't you gimmick it so where Canyon as as stunned over a plat takes a quick fall, like four foot back fall onto like a, a mat area that looks like the cage? Instead of showing him be punched... And then, ah, and then he's on the cage, like he fell. Yeah, there's little cuts here and there that make this harder to follow than it needs to be. Yeah. It's weird to see WSW when the camera cuts away from stuff you need to see. It's really uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just them imitating the actual WCW yeah. there. The, the director was like, I've watched your show. This is how your show looks. Yeah, could be. DP is the same way. He gets kicked by Sting, who swings in like Tarzan, and then he also falls at the same point. Yeah. Yeah. You do at least see the longer fall at the end, the mm-hmm. um, body slam one that shouldn't actually cause that to happen. Yes. But you do at least get to see that one. So they, yeah. they managed one of them. But yeah, it definitely feels like there's weird cuts in this match that just like you, you lose bits and pieces here and there. Yes. And I realize, again, we're trying to like fast forward through what would be if this were an actual match, probably a half hour or something like that. Yeah. You're trying to get through that in like five minutes. Right. But yeah, it, it loses... Something in just being like smash cut at various points. Yeah. Again, we're getting into this whole, is wrestling real or fake? Yeah. Because we've got them putting on this big spectacle and everything with the rules, which I guess, sure, you can say maybe you could actually do that as a real fight or something if you're assuming that these people actually are superhuman. Right. Which we're apparently supposed to buy now. Yes. But... Everyone's, again, doing loads of wrestling moves in this yeah. match. When everyone's brawling, they're like, aha, I'm so angry at you that I'm going to do a body slam. Or I'm so angry at you that I'm going to, you know, do a suplex that you have to cooperate with me in. Yeah. Well, it uh, just yeah, doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> well, it's like you have, uh, when Gordy comes in, helps out as the law, he spears your king's son. And, you know, that apparently is very effective. In contrast to you, Goldberg, who you totally believe him actually is spearing you. Yeah, it's all done in this style. Like, if this is a real fight, the action should look significantly different than a wrestling match. Yeah. 
because a wrestling match is, again, performance art. Yeah. You know, it can be brilliant, but it is not an actual fight. Right. And you're going to do things completely differently in an actual fight than in a wrestling match. Yeah. See see the brawl for all for a comparison. Yeah. Yeah. So they're behaving as though this is still the performance. Yes. Even though the story of the film is that this is a real fight. Yeah. They could maybe get away with a little that if they had put like an insert bit. Like, put a pause in after both King and DP uh, fall to the second level and they're, they're like, stunned for a bit. Cut back down to the bottom part of the ring where the real wrestlers are fighting each other. And I have them, like, joke about how we gotta keep going because the people are watching. Right. That'd have be kind of funny. them actually say, oh, it's a... Do something to suggest this is now just a match. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're, like, we're cool, right? Yeah, of course. And then, they, you know, go over to Spears a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't be worse than what they did as far as muddying the waters are real and fake. Yeah. Because they have no personal stake in any of this. They're just people that work there. So the biggest thing to contrast that, it would arguably try to help your whole, this fight up here is real thing. Because you're showing, here's people fake fighting for right. fun. And then and then actually saw something more brutal looking up yeah, there or something exactly. like that. Yeah. Good work. And th- then my other big problem with this is we've got King's entire victory. This is his supposedly huge hero moment, but his entire victory is dependent on Sting just kind of showing up to save him despite no prior build to Sting giving the slightest crap about saving him. Yeah. This would work if it was Sting was the guy that he went to see at the gym mm-hmm. instead of Goldberg. Yeah. Or something along that line. Or they decided to do Jimmy King as the main character of this movie. And they set him up as a dude has, who has a 14-year career in WCW, mm-hmm. has been there for ages, yeah, and has had multiple wives. Uh-huh. I think this is part of Jerry Lawler parody and part a Ric Flair parody. Yes. If Jimmy King was originally written for Ric Flair and he just said, I'm not doing it because you guys are insulting me, mm-hmm. then Sting just wanting to save him makes sense. Yeah. Because you can pull on their years of relationship, but you just have to kind of imply that that Right. kind of exist with this, and they fail to even do an implication. Right. Well, on top of that, Sting has to save him for this match to be won. It's not like King, you know, having learned his lessons from all the training he didn't do, is able to fend off Paige, but then someone else interferes, gets up there, and hits them. Right. So Sting has to kick that guy off of that. At this point, it's an even match. Yes. And King is just losing. Correct. He's just actually going to lose. Yeah. When Sting comes down. It's not like there's still the interference going on with him. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It robs what could be kind of a hero moment for King. Yeah, sure. If Sting swung down to save him when the big multi-man assault on him was going on, that'd be mm-hmm. a different thing. Right. But it's taking away from your hero moment. Exactly, yeah. And it purely exists because you had to have Sting in this movie because he's Sting is WCW. Yeah. You can't ignore the awkwardness of how this whole ending plays out as well. This movie was... I don't know if it was written, but it was definitely shot and released after the Owen Hart incident, where he falls yes. to his death, unfortunately. And here you have a dramatized version of something body slammed and falling at 20, 30 feet straight down hitting the mat. Right. And it's like a year out from when that happens, when this movie comes out. Definitely too close yeah. for that that kind of thing. It's it's definitely a... I don't think they're referencing that. No. And no, I don't no. think... Te- not, not intentionally, yeah. no. And I imagine they weren't thinking about it, but... It's something you really should have considered. Like, right. this is this is a very recent incident where someone plunged quite a distance to his death. Right. And having that sort of incident in this film yeah. is rendering cartoonish a very real tragedy. Correct. 
I don't I don't view it as a malice thing. Like they're no, no. making fun of it, but yeah, having your big finale involving a similar looking incident looks bad. Yeah, true. Speaking of Sting, I did some research on other appearances he did around this time. So there's two notable ones I have to talk about to promote this movie. They had David Arquette appear on Mad TV where he did a parody where he was playing a Mexican wrestler named El Aso Wipo. Oh, God. I actually remember this one happened. I've, wow. I watched Mad TV back then. I mean, the joke is that it's potentially bad. Right. Still. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's just stupid regardless, but yeah. He's doing this thing, and, and him and I think it's the Will Sass are both doing this character they've done before. And they're up to buy Sting, who comes out legit, and he goes like, what are you guys doing? And he's like, and he's like oh, I'm playing here. And then he, he sort of chastises him, and that's his appearance in the show. It's berating David Arquette. So at least it's a good appearance. Okay. The other one is, I just I actually made sure to watch this last night. It's bizarre. This happened a little after this movie comes out. So there was a show called Arl Stein's Nightmare Room. I think I've heard of that one, yeah. A lot of them are based on actual Arl Stein stories. This one actually wasn't. This episode called The Tangled Web. The premise is that this kid, played by the eldest son and Malcolm in the Middle, okay. which, as a little side note, features the Bret Hart putting the structure on Chris Benoit in their intro. So more wrestling connections here. Okay. So he's this kid who he's lying about everything. And he seemed to get away with it by the substitute teacher played by David Carradine. <laughs> this is weird. He seems to believe him, but it's clear that there's more to this. All his crazy lies. Like he, he makes a lie about someone like people breaking in and robbing his house and still with math homework. That then seats start happening like in real life. Oh, okay. So at one point he lies, but it says he knew he knows Sting. Later, his buddy's like, hey, WCW's coming to town. You can call Sting and we can get tickets to you. He'll be backstage. He's oh, no, no, I can't do that. I accidentally gave someone Sting's email address, and he got like a million emails, and his computer crashed. <laughs> Not, don't even get into how that's supposed to make any sense. Okay. But that's a lie, obviously. Eventually, when that's what's happening, Mitchie figures out, oh, I can say this didn't happen. I can do all these things. So he undoes all the stuff like he has an evil brother and all the stuff. And then suddenly he's at school thinking he's, he's happy. Then Sting like kicks down a door down the hallway <laughs> and says, you ruined my computer. I got so many emails. <laughs> and he's like, oh, he's like, oh, crap. I forgot, I forgot about the Sting part. <laughs> so the visual is this kid running down, down a crowded hallway at a high school being chased by Sting, who's yelling in the same delivery every time. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. <laughs> Okay, that actually sounds kind of awesome. Yeah, you can watch it on YouTube, by the way, if you want to see. I watched it last night. Just, I had to get the context of Sting as himself on an R.L. Stein show. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's all eventually resolved, but yeah. Sting chasing this kid, well, no one seems to give a crap. And mind you, this comes after his famous Sprite commercial. Well, yes, yeah. Where the kid drinks Sprite and Sting shows up, and he wants to wrestle with him. Whereupon Sting needs to beat the crap out of this kid and <laughs> throw him around. It's hilarious. One of the best Sprite commercials ever made. Yes. <laughs> Aside from that, and also apparently playing a biker on Walker, Texas Ranger. Yes. That's what Sting was doing around this time. Okay. So in the aftermath, Sinclair is down on the ringside saying he made wrestling and he's not getting away with this. Whereupon Gordy and Sean hit him a couple times and then toss him into the crowd. Who are definitely going to savagely murder this man, yes. right? <laughs> yes. He drops the ground. They're, they're clearly kicking and punching him. Yes, right yeah. Yeah, Gordy and Sean are, are like, no, you don't make wrestling. The fans make wrestling. And then he, they throw him to the wolves. Yes. <laughs> Inside the ring, there's a big celebration, a la a lot of Starcade, especially a bit of Starcade 3 almost. Yeah, yeah. With Flair in the ring after being beaten uh, Harley Race. 
Goldberg now apparently respects King for getting beaten up and then immediately saved by Sting and seemingly almost murdering his colleague. <laughs> well, I guess was a dick, so it's okay. Yeah, you know, it's fine. Yeah. He says, I want to be your partner again. And King goes, now I got a new partner. And he grabs Gordy and says, yeah, he is the law. <laughs> Bad tactical move, man. Yes. <laughs> You've got two choices for partners, David Arquette and Goldberg. Yes. Definitely take Goldberg. Yes, take yes. the mountain of muscle. Exactly. <laughs> you have to get along with him. He doesn't have to like you, but yeah, he's definitely a better pick. Yeah. <laughs> also, since when is Gordy gainfully employed by WCW? I guess now. And Sean, apparently, as well as, as his manager, which I forget what he calls him. Oh, Sugar Daddy? Sugar Daddy, yes. They're both apparently hired by WCW because Jimmy King says so. I guess, yeah. Because the owner of the company is apparently dead now. He's, yeah. he's in the crowd being torn apart yeah. by the Savage fans. Mm-hmm. I like to picture that Jimmy King's parents are participating in that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> I should also note that they do actually show, very briefly, DUP being helped to the back by somebody. So he is basically walking off that dramatic fall. Yes. I mean, with the assistant, but yeah, he's it's like, yeah, yeah, a couple minutes gone by, I'm good. Well, it was part of the match script, so he knew exactly where to place the mattress for him to fall on. Oh, okay. <laughs> After all that's wrapped up, we then cut back to the convenience store where the same kids from earlier are talking to Sean. So was this whole movie just the story they told them? Because this framing wraparound thing is a little weird that they cut back to it like that's a thing. I feel like it's supposed to be happening later that they've actually legitimately gone back right. to it. But but you can see how that would look like I, that, though. I could see you saying, yeah, that it's the one thing that makes it clear mm-hmm. that this is not the same night is that Gordy's dad came by at the beginning and was clearly aggressive against Sean. Mm, okay. But during the match, we're seeing that he's come around. Right. So that makes it clear these must be two separate nights. Right. Okay. But yeah, just, it's sad that it, I have to use that to yeah. establish it, but... Because in the intro, we have them, then a dream sequence, and then back to reality again. So I can, you can see how oh, yeah, yeah, reality is totally muddled by this. Yes. They somehow don't believe that Jimmy King is really their tag partner, which then on TV, right? Besides just one time. I mean, it was pay-per-view and they're kids, so maybe oh. they didn't catch it. So this is like the next night, like Monday night, I guess? Yeah. So naturally... This is explained as being real by the guy being thrown through the doors of the convenience store he works at by Goldberg and and Jimmy King. Now, I love Goldberg and all, but it really, if you want to tie things back together, shouldn't it be Randy Savage there? It should be, yeah. Yeah. Also, it's not a crime of a wrestler, does it, right? Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> I mean, ask um, the guy who threw a big rock through a McDonald's window. <laughs> Ken Patera. Ken Patera, that ended well, right? Yeah. Yeah, he just walked it off, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so now everyone's gotten their wish, including Sao, who apparently is in a, a hot tub that is built in the back of the Hummer that they drove there in, which I guess the kids didn't see. You'd, you'd think that would be a fairly uh, obvious sight. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they looked over and saw, saw Martin Landau in a hot tub and immediately like, nah, let's look over here. Yeah, let's avoid this. Don't make eye contact. That seems like it will scar our impressionable young minds. Yes. So that's the actual movie. During the beginning of the credits, we do get some bloopers where they mess up lines and a Interesting bit where Oliver Platt, while doing a fake punch, legit punches Randy Savage. Yes. Who immediately apologizes. Savage just seems completely unfazed by it, which... Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. The blooper reel is way better than the actual movie. It is, yeah. And they do seem to be having fun, so fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I often enjoy bloopers, but I wasn't expecting to enjoy a blooper reel for a really terrible movie. Yeah. But it actually is fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> sure. If only that had been the whole film. That would be nice, yeah. Yeah, so that's Ray to Rumble. Oh, God. 
So for me, the film doesn't work. As a comedy, it's just a really stupid, kind of irritating comedy. It's like Dumb and Dumber type of yeah. level of humor. Right. But not done well. No, exactly. It's like a copy of a copy. It's the worst version of this. Yes. The characters are unlikable. I mean, there are likable characters, like I said, in Dumb and Dumber, where you can enjoy the movie for that. There's really not anyone here that's likable. And on top of that, as you mentioned throughout, there's a number of stuff they were just ripped off from the movies, directly or indirectly. You have the stink finger thing, nice way to put it. Oh, God, yeah. Which is a version of a slightly better joke in Mallrats. Not a great joke, but a better joke than this, at least. And as I mentioned, the basically stealing Galaxy Quest Justin Long is kind of weird for this movie. Along with other just generic jokes about nuns and everything like that, and just fart jokes and, you know, all sorts of crass stuff that's not very good. Yeah, for for every, like, single joke that actually lands, there's, like, ten that are just crude and yeah. stupid. And it's one thing when it's, like, a bad comedy, but, you, like, you're enjoyable people in it. Like, you like an actor, and you can... You can sort of enjoy it for that, but not really here either. No, no. As a wrestling film, you get a lot of the big stars, but as we have made point very clear, it makes fun of the audience. It makes fun of the sport they're doing. It can't decide whether it's real or fake. It's weird that so much of the movie is built around Jimmy King character, who's not a real wrestler. Exactly, yeah. And a parody of a wrestler at a different company. Yes. Also, due to a number of reasons... Mostly due to the timing and probably just poor planning on WCW's part. I have a list of stars who should be, but are not in this movie. Okay. Bret Hart. Yep. Scott Steiner. Yep. Ric Flair. Yes, definitely. Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. Bobby Heenan. Yep. Jeff Jarrett. Yep. Uh-huh. Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> La Parca. Aren't you kind of glad La Parca's not in the movie, though? I am, yes. Eric Bischoff. Now, technically, I think Eric Bischoff was fired by yes. the point this movie... Like I said, the timing is... A, there's a reason. The timing of that is part of the reason why some people are, aren't there. But yes. I think it's rumored that he was originally going to be playing the role that ended up yeah. Titus Sinclair. I find it hard to believe that the studio would cast him, though. But, yeah, no, they put DDP in a prominent role. As yeah. good as DDP is, it's possible. I feel like he might push that room more than anyone else does. Possibly, yeah. I feel like something he would do. But yeah, ultimately, the movie is not very funny. There's a few bits that kind of work throughout. It makes the characters unlikable, so you really don't want to see most of them succeed. And it insults the audience, so it's, it's not like it's a bad comedy for wrestling fans. It's a bad comedy against wrestling fans. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's just bad. <laughs> okay, strap in. All right. <laughs> so there's bad movies, and there's bad movies. Oh, yeah. This is more towards the former. Yeah, sure. It's competently filmed, at least. There's no major technical issues aside from some iffy filming during the final match that isn't anything worse, like we said, than what you see from WCW's actual camera crew. Agreed, yes. The acting, I can't call it good, but it's only bad because the script itself is bad. Yeah. The actors themselves are clearly playing the characters as they've been written yeah. and deliver their lines just fine. It's not their fault that the characters and the lines are awful. I will tell you, skimming through reviews from the time... You don't see much praising the acting in the movie as a whole, but the common theme I'll see from Ebert and other people reviewing the movie at the time is they liked Oliver Platt. They thought he committed the role really well. Mm-hmm. And Martin Landau in his brief pit really stands out. Yeah, I mean... That, that's it. I can't compliment or insult Martin Landau's bit because yeah. it's so tiny. He's enjoyable in his small part, but yeah, it's not... Yeah. 
So technically, then, the film works. Sure. It's just that the script, the general plot, and the editing are really bad. And those are exceptionally terrible and even actively insulting to the intended audience. Agreed. Like you pointed out, this is blatantly a movie intended for wrestling fans, and it spends most of its runtime making fun of them. Yeah. Gordy and Sean are morons. Yes. There's some small attempts to awkwardly shoehorn in some sympathy with Sean missing his departed father, but that gets a couple mentions, and honestly, the sewage truck wreck is played more for laughs than for the tragic loss of Sean's last memento of his dead father. Right. Gordy, meanwhile, they're going for kind of a finding-your-way-in-the-world story with him. He's in conflict with his dad for what he wants to do with his life. But both Gordy and his dad are so extreme and ridiculous that it all falls flat. Yeah. Otherwise, what are they? They're two idiots who insist, in the face of all evidence and even when told directly by the performers, that wrestling is not a performance but an actual athletic competition. And in fact, Gordy does so with clear anger issues. Yeah. They're pretty much directionless in life. They scam people. They engage in infantile and dangerous pranks. They have less than positive interactions with women. Yes. They abandon responsibilities. They break promises. Mm -hmm. They get other people engaged in fights that they don't even want. True. About the only positive quality that either of them has is that they keep believing in Jimmy King, even when he's at his lowest, and do, against all logic, help him turn his life around. True. Yeah, yeah, sure. But even that is really kind of an expression of how foolish they are, as they just can't accept that their hero is not and never really was their hero. Mm-hmm. They are idiots engaged in a fantasy world, not selfless heroes. And that is what is being said about wrestling fans in a movie made by a wrestling company. Yeah. So who comes off well here? Mm-hmm. Gordy's dad is an over-the-top power-abusing jerk. Sinclair is the villain. Right. DDP is the secondary villain. Uh-huh. Sasha's the tertiary villain. Sure. Almost every other wrestler hates King, so they're quaternary. Yes, that is the actual word. Villains. Fair enough. Okay. Sal is a horrible, abusive old man. Right. Brittany and her fellow fast food employee barely exist. Yeah. As does Sting. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess Goldberg comes off okay? Yeah. And King starts off a selfish jerk who ran out on people that he should have supported, but he does at least improve over the course of the film. Yeah. I will say, do they how hastily they wrap up the movie, you don't actually see proof that he helped the family. True. Hopefully he did, but they don't Hopefully like he did, yeah. They don't like show them in a mansion or anything. That is true. It's just kind of a strange film. It's like like you were saying, what is it trying to be? It's full of contradictions. It's kind of a screwball comedy, but then it tries to shoehorn in these little deeper moments. It can't decide whether wrestling is real or fake at any given moment. It uses King's family to show how he doesn't live up to his fictional story, but makes their situation comedic rather than sad, Mm -hmm. and uses his abandoned son as a villain for a weird swerve. Yes. Also, how does Titus know about his son? Don't know. Okay. Maybe they talked about it to Sasha at some point. Sure. Camera. (laughs) It tries to have important character moments, like Sean recognizing that the girl he was pursuing isn't the one that he should, but both her and the girl he ends up liking are in two scenes. True. It develops Gordy's relationships much more, but then he just kind of disappears from the movie for a little, and Sean ends up much more important going into the finale. Yeah. That last part's spectacularly weird. Uh Uh-huh. Arguably, Gordy and Sean are co-leads, but looking back on the movie, it feels like they put all of the character work into Gordy. Yeah. He has the conflict with his dad, Uh a question of what he wants to do with his life, a conflict with Sasha. He is the driving force behind the quest to go after Jimmy King, while Sean is just kind of going along with him. Yeah. Sean gets a very brief mention of his dad being dead and a couple quick scenes with two girls who are barely in the movie. Yes. 
It's very strange when the clear main character just exits the movie then as we head into our conclusion. Admittedly, that's probably why he comes back pretty quickly, but still, it robs things of momentum. Mm. Put another way, Gordy spends the whole film being Luke Skywalker. Okay. But then he gets Han Solo's role in the final scene. He's the assistant, not the lead all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. Apologies to Luke and Han. It's okay. (laughs) It feels like scenes are often in the movie out of obligation, not because they make any sense. Gordy has to have a moment where he questions his dream, but we're desperately out of time, as Mr. Shivani would say. (laughs) So we deal with that doubt mostly off camera, and he's back. Yeah. King needs a trainer, so let's get him one, but let's not really show him training much at all because we don't have time for that because it's time for the bad guys to do something nefarious and we decided they should beat up the trainer that we got like a scene ago. Yeah. We need to show the group gathering allies, actually developing the characters. Nah, it's enough that they exist. And anyway, we're going to have a bunch of random WCW guys run in for the final battle anyway. Yeah. How do we find King? It's the 90s. Find a hacker kid to use for one scene. (laughs) Yeah. It's just kind of a movie assembled by throwing darts at sports and comedy movie tropes, but without thinking about how they all fit together or what scenes might tell us about the characters. Yeah. Like I said before, take the recruitment bit. They spend a while going over all these weird characters, but the main match allies are going to be the WCW guys instead. So why not have the WCW guys come in and say, hey man, we don't like Sinclair and DDP either, so we're in. Yeah. When you need us, we'll be there. Yeah. You cut like four to six useless characters that way. Yeah. And you don't want to use your trainer extensively, so just don't have one. Have, I don't know, Goldberg help King get back into shape. Like, I won't help you fight, but I'll help you be ready to fight. Yeah. Or just have Sean and Gordy work with him. That's fine. You don't need an old man trainer just because Rocky had one. (laughs) Yeah. That's what this feels like. Well, such and such movie had this, so let's do that. They didn't put together a script that worked for their characters. They put together a bunch of scenes that felt like they should be in a sports movie and then slapped their characters on top, kind of. Yeah. And now the elephant in the room. Okay. Jimmy King. Oliver Platt is a perfectly fine actor, and he does his best with this, but it's just weird, right? Yes. Every other wrestler character in the movie is an actual WCW wrestler. Mm -hmm. Could you really not write your main wrestling character for an actual wrestler, too? I mean, I get why none of them would want to play it with the way that you wrote him as kind of a horrible jerk and liar in the early going, but just don't do that. Yeah. Pick a guy that you think can do it, like, say, Goldberg, who's quite a focal point in the movie anyway, so you clearly think he can act, and to be fair, he does quite well. Yeah. Make the plot about him getting betrayed and losing his confidence and leave it at that. Or go with Sting. Or, you know, go with who you clearly wanted to go with, Ric Flair. Yeah. It's just jarring to see WCW wrestler after WCW wrestler in bit parts or occasional starring roles, see DDP, yeah, and then look at our lead good guy wrestler and see this weird Jerry Lawler, Ric Flair parody and be asked to actually care about what he's doing when he does not remotely fit with the WCW scene's atmosphere. Yeah. He's an early 80s gimmick stuck in late 90s WCW, and they're trying to make him fit just by having him rap and swear. Yeah. It would die a death, like we said, with actual wrestling fans at the time. Yeah, look at Rocky Maivia. See how that worked out. It's just, it doesn't work. No, no, for sure. It's just a bad film. Yeah. And a bad film that's insulting to its intended audience and clashes with its intended concept. It can't decide what it wants to be. It can't decide who its main character is. It can't decide what its concept of wrestling is. It's not among the worst movies I've seen, but that's just because I've largely, thanks to you. You're welcome. Seen lots of really awful movies. Yeah. 
I mean, once you've seen Actium Maximus War of the Alien Dinosaurs, your perspective on filmmaking kind of changes. Right. And you start to appreciate basic technical competence a lot more. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But it's far from good. It comes off as clueless, disinterested, and disrespectful of the very fans in Art of Pro Wrestling that it is portraying. This is the kind of film that you make to mock an industry, not the sort of film you make when you are one of the top three companies in that industry. Yeah. It's really not worth the time to watch it, unless maybe the Rift Tracks crew does it at some point. That'd be worth it, probably. Well, it's not a normal show, but let's try to retain some normalcy if we can. <laughs> let's do Match the Night MVP. Okay. So there's no great action, I'd say, any of this, really. I guess if I'm picking from the small bits you have there, which is weird to think, a little wrestling than a wrestling movie. It, it is strange, yeah. Yeah. It's like they realized how hard it was to shoot wrestling, as if the wrestling company couldn't tell you how to shoot wrestling. Right. I think solely because he's in it and not anywhere else, I have to pick the first one with Randy Savage, just because okay, Randy the, Savage is there. The, 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 the dream sequence. The dream sequence brawl, okay. Yeah. yeah. Even if it is weird seeing Randy Savage taken out with his own diving axe handle That's true. by Oliver Platt, his brief screen time brings so much star power that it then sadly disappears from the movie. Okay. For mine, it's WCW versus the entire wrestling fan base. Okay. <laughs> this whole movie was probably intended to be a tribute to wrestling fans, but it portrays them as complete and utter morons, unable to accept that their favorite show is an act, and prone to fits of anger and violence. Arquette and Khan's characters are the worst stereotypes of wrestling fans in WCW's own movie. No wonder WCW went out of business. Yeah, right. But seriously, if I have to pick from the matches in the film, I'd say the first Nitro match between King and DDP. Mm. It actually has kind of a flow to it. It portrays something close to the actual art of pro wrestling, and it shows some fun behind-the-scenes stuff with them calling spots. The betrayal attack is completely over the top, and it's ridiculous that they keep doing pro wrestling moves when it's supposed to have become legit, but at least it has a followable plot. Sure. All right, that's fair enough. Uh, MVP, for me, I I think I'm going back to where I was on, actually, was it the last show, wasn't it? It seems so long ago. I know, it really does. It's weird. <laughs> For completely committing to the character, good or bad, right or wrong, I have to go with DDP, because he commits to every aspect of him being mm-hmm. evil, that's the heel. He turns real violent when he needs to for the betrayal. He's willing to make himself look dumb, you know, walking around with the toilet seat ring on his head during Knocked Around by Jimmy King. Right. He plays every bit of his character to a T for me. I don't think he's maybe the best part of the movie, but he equates himself as well as he can in the situation by committing to this dumb ass movie. Yes. I am in 100% agreement. My MVP is Diamond Dallas Page. He's one of the few wrestlers that's given a prominent role in the movie, and he gives it his all the whole time. Like you said, his role is not well written, no. but he's doing his best, and he still manages to do his usual DDP stuff, including his great timing on various spots, and some actually really excellent selling. Like when he's stumbling away at the end, he's mm-hmm. doing the usual DDP, I've been beaten down yeah. kind of selling job, rather than not caring, because yeah. it's a movie instead. He actually bothered to try here, and it's a good thing that they picked him for this. Yes. It just serves to highlight how dumb it is that they didn't pick another wrestler for the king role, Mm -hmm. because you clearly have people that can do this. Yeah. Well, fortunately, I realized that Eric Bischoff did not have authority to overrule me. So, sorry, Al. I'm taking back over. Oh, if you insist. (laughs) That wraps up our review of Ready to Rumble. 
If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook as Let's Go to the Ring. Links will be available in the episode description. Follow us for episode announcements and other show details, and share your own thoughts about the Slamborees as we go through. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, Verbal, or Audible. And please, if you've enjoyed this show, give us a rating or review, and share the show through your favorite social media platforms to help others discover us. Many thanks to OSW Review for attendance and pay-per-view figures, and to Gina Trujillo for our logo. Next up, the final Slamboree. <gasps> Slamboree 2000, brought to you by Western Union Money Transfer. Quite appropriate, since WCW's plans leading up to the show would transfer quite a lot of money out of their bank account. Touché. Well, at least we don't have to watch any more of David Arquette in a wrestling ring, right? Uh, about that. Oh, crap. Yeah, sorry. This is Bob Moore for Alec Pridgen, signing off. Good night, everybody. Happy wrestling. The faces beat up the heels, and we see the police, including Gordy's dad, uh, cheering for cheering him on in the yes. uh, watching. T- they're watching TV in a t- in a. Ah, let me start again. <laughs>